is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get arrested. No. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks, Speedy Petey, and Tyler Harrison. Tyler Harrison. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. Hello, hello, hello to a new show of the Sports Live Mouth. I'm your host, Errol B-Bad Marks, and on the board, and my co-host, no, it's not Tyler Harrison, the bald man, he is not here. No, we've got the speedster, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have a great show lined up for you guys today. Uh, before we do that, Speedy, how was your weekend? Did you have fun? Did you call? St- Wait a second. Did you call Tyler? Did you hang out with Tyler this weekend? I did not call Tyler. I, you sure. I, I think I. I think I tagged I think him Jeff in something did. on Twitter, but I, think I don't. Jeff did. I don't think I called him. I don't or texted him. I think I tagged him in something on Twitter or something about the NFL. Do you think Jeff remember. would reach out to Tyler on his spare time and ask Tyler? Anything besides killing him? Would you? Would you see? Oh, I can see Jeff prank calling Tyler. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but do you think that he would reach out to Tyler unless he was trying to reach out to him to meet up with him so he can kill him? Well, there's always that possibility. But I definitely would not rule out Jeff as the prank caller type. For sure. Well, that would be true. <laughs> I, I mean, I, he he pranks when it comes to text messaging. He likes to attack the beef on text. Oh, messages. of course, that's I mean, inevitable. His newfound glory, the Cowboys, are yes, uh, his moving new, his new Cowboys fandom. That's right. <laughs> he's he's going to start his own Facebook uh, page called the Cowboys fandom. And by the way, uh, the beef will be his leader, his captain. Of the page. So that would be great. Could you imagine Jeff and the Beav on the same team, tag team partners, the tag team champions? Well, I don't know how much the team chemistry would be of that, but I, who knows? Jeff would probably start to bring out his, uh, his ideas for what he would do at his deli. Well, I will say this. Uh, the Beav has been reaching out to Jeff over the last couple of weeks and asking Jeff for his picks on his favorite picks of the day because guess what? Sports betting is here in New York, and the Beaver is starting to spend some mun-mun. Could you figure that one out? Uh-huh. Not surprising with the way you said he got lucky with those those Super Bowl pools. That's right, and he likes to open up his pockets, but he, he doesn't like to lose anything. So uh, if you're a prostitute, do not go to the Beef. He will not spend any of his money. <laughs> so... Uh, just he'll remember, just be, he'll just be manipulative. He'll still want you, but not the money. That's true. I, I think the problem with the beef is, is that he he has this thing of not leaving home, and he likes to stack up his money. He likes to stack up his change, and then eventually, when he's ready to explode, uh, you know, he'll go out on a bench. <laughs> and if you know what I mean, he's looking for you know people like your mom, Speedy. No, no, you no. don't think so. My mom would not be interested, and vice versa. Really, the Beef is a, a sexy man in his own, you know, his own way. You know, don't, you don't think 
The beef is attractive? Well, I think the uh, the expert for that is uh, Josh's sister-in-law. That's right. <laughs> I, I forgot. A... <laughs> That's pretty good, Speedy. I like that. Oh, man. Poor beef. Anyways, uh, we got a great show lined up for you guys. At 9.30, we'll be talking to creator of the rookie big board, Matt Hicks. Uh, also works for Sports Illustrated. Uh, at 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to a very good guest, uh, uh, a prestige guest. Uh, we'll be talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop. Uh, and he's going to be talking about his book that he just wrote, uh, Talking to Goats. I guess some of the greatest players mm-hmm. of their aware sports. Speedy, are you one of the goats? Uh, do you I'm look? Not, I don't. Could think you? I could you could give be. me? Could you give me a goat sound? Could you just you know give me what a goat would sound like? A goat sound. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, no, you gotta. You gotta put some. What the hell is that? It sounds like a rat, man. What are you trying to scare somebody? It's bad, you know, like that. Man, you're a terrible man. Uh, If I ever asked you to talk, make a horse sound, could you give me that one at least? (laughs) Look at Jeff. I'll I'll stick to the dogs. I'll stick to the dog sounds. That's the only ones I know what to do. Jeff likes the dog sounds for his Georgia Bulldogs. (laughs) We will get get into the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, winning the national championship, uh, and, and by the way, knocking off the Alabama Slammer Crimson Tide, uh, a team they haven't beaten for seven straight times, and finally knocks them off. Uh, and by the way, Jeff did, by the way, pick practically the score, the final score of the game, mm-hmm. which I was very surprised. I think he, I think he picked like thirty-two to eighteen or something like that. Yeah. And, and it ended up 30 to 17 or something like 33 that. 33 to 18 was the final. It was weirdly yeah. at like certain points, like somebody who like scoregami possibilities of new yeah. scores. It was 13 12 at one point, then it was 18 13, then 19 18. And it ends up with the very conventional football score of 33 to 18, just like we all <laughs> predicted. Well, the Beeve actually called me up today and he said, you know, if Alabama had their two best wide receivers, there was no way in hell the Georgia Bulldogs would have won that game. I yeah, said, I wouldn't go that far. Um, we were watching. Were we watching the same game? And how many college football games have you watched this year, Beave? And then he told me that he's going to be calling Jeff next year uh, when the season starts for college football because he wants to get his bets because he knows, uh, you know, Jeff knows uh, a little bit more about college football than most people does. So, Jeff. Hey, Beef, do you realize that uh, Georgia Georgia has been without their best wide receiver all year and he was limited in that game too and still had a big catch in the first quarter? <laughs> I can't wait until the Beef calls Jeff. You know, when the season starts next year and has his own thoughts of what's going to happen when it comes to the national championship and who's going to be the top 25 ranked football teams in the country. I I can't wait. <laughs> Jeff, if I were you, I'd set it up so you get them to lose. <laughs> Carl says, I have one in nine squares for the game. I was close until the pick six mm. and 40 years, finally. Yes, he's right. So uh, so we'll get into the whole Georgia Bulldogs, Alabama Crimson Tide game. So we'll get into that a little bit. And it, just a little bit, actually. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Jeff's on the phone, but finish up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, we will get into the Joe Judge saga. Uh, I thought they were going to keep him. The Giants, it looked like they were going to keep him. And then all of a sudden, a couple of days later, they fire him. So uh, I think it has a lot to do with Dave Gettleman stepping down and – 
the guy that I believe the Giants already know who they're going to bring in probably said, I don't want him, so you might as well get rid of him now before I get into office. So I think that was the whole point of that. And Joe Judge will be going back to the New England Patriots. What a surprise. I I wouldn't be surprised with that anyways. Uh, so we'll get into the whole Giants thing. Like we said, we'll have our two special guests. Um, we will also talk to talk about the... I guess they call it Black Day, D-Day for... Black Monday, or in the Giants' case, Black Tuesday. In the Broncos' case, Black Sunday. That's right. So uh, we will get into all the coaches that were fired, and two of the coaches that I can't believe were fired made absolutely no sense. And, and the thoughts of moving forward with some of those coaches that are available now that they just got fired, uh, where some teams will be very interested in them. And one of those guys is Brian Flores, who yeah. I really, really like. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe Miami did that. I'm, I'm, I told Jeff... I make a bet, go on DraftKings and bet that Jim Harbaugh is the next uh, Miami Dolphins head coach because I'll I'll take it to the bank that that's who's going to be the new coach for the Miami Dolphins. So that would just be the watch. classic Dolphins f- trying to be flashy. Yeah, absolutely. Why would they? Why would they fire Brian Flores? He won seven games in a row. Yeah, seven games in a row, and then he lost one game. He gets knocked out of the playoffs. And uh, you know what? Uh, we'll give up on him. Didn't he win his last game? He won the last game against the Patriots. I, I and they would have made the playoffs if they didn't lose to Tennessee. That was the only thing in between. But it makes no sense. They got sense. blown out by Tennessee. So you're going to scrutinize a guy for getting blown out by the number one seed. Okay. Mm. Yeah, because no, the, the Chiefs got blown out by the Titans. Yes. <laughs> so put that in perspective how good the Titans are. Chargers, Raiders, tie, win, controversy. Uh, we'll get into that as well. And again, oh, I'm have fun with that. the national championship. So uh, before we get into all our conversations and our special guests, why not get on the phone with Jeffrey, a.k.a. Jeff from Tampa? What's going on, Jeff? Errol, currently 43 degrees in Athens, Georgia, but I bet you it's feeling a little warmer than that today. <laughs> Especially for the beef or his pockets. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, stupid. <laughs> well, he, he did tell me. That uh, when the football, college football season opens up next year, you'll be the first person he's going to call and start making bids and bets and, and all the different stuff that he's doing. And he actually texted me today and he said, do you think the Knicks could win today? And thank God he didn't listen to me because I, I didn't think the Knicks had any chance today. But they're winning 78-64 right now. It looks like they're going to win a game. So uh, maybe, maybe well, it's the resurgence. You know, I- you know, I had this one preseason. We talked mm-hmm. about it in July. I, like, you know, and and uh, I could see this one coming a mile away, mm-hmm. and even almost nailed the exact score. I had thirty-four to seventeen, and it was thirty-three to eighteen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you were you were almost dead on on the final score, and then you were sending me pictures of uh, Stetson uh, drinking a ten thousand dollar bottle of, uh, you know, I don't know. Pappy Van Winkle. Someone gave him a $10,000 bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. I don't know what Pappy Van Winkle is. Thank God for NIL rules. That's (laughs) (laughs) right. He... He, he probably got paid some nice money after winning that uh, national championship for Georgia. I, I, I would see that. So um, I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, why don't we get – you know what we'll do? Because you are the big college football guy and so is Speedy. Why don't we get into the national championship? We, we were going to wait until the end of the show. We could still talk about it a little bit. But what were your thoughts, Jeff, with the national championship? Georgia Bulldogs, it was very, very close. Alabama had the lead going into the second half of the game. It wasn't that much. It was 9-6 or something. Mm-hmm. Like that, 
and then going into the second quarter, I mean in the third quarter, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, that's where everything started to open up. And, and the beef thinks because Williams got hurt, that was the reason why Alabama had no chance of winning that game. What are your thoughts to okay, what the beef well, said? Here's the problem with this whole thing. We play the what-if game. Oh, what if this guy was playing? What if that guy was playing? And everyone's going to look on the Alabama side and go, oh, what if Mechie played? What if, what if Williams didn't get hurt? Okay, what if Adam Anderson was playing for Georgia? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Adam Anderson was the best linebacker all year in college football. What if he was playing? Mm. It would be a different you know, game. Bryce Young, probably, Bryce Young probably wouldn't even be walking today. <laughs> what if Pickens played, was healthy and played all the snaps instead of the limited snaps? Right, right. This is the thing. People only like to play the what-if game on one side. Pickens, right. hey, listen, why, why didn't, why didn't Jamison Williams keep playing on the torn ACL? George Pickens did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Yep. I mean, so why, why do we play the what-if thing? Things happen in a football game. Guys get hurt. Some guys don't play. You, that, uh, for me, that's not going to take away from a team that didn't win in the last 40 years winning a national championship. Nope. 40 years. And then they bring in a guy from Alabama to help him win it. Who would have thought? <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And you want to know something. Looking at pictures of, uh, you know, the coach and, and looking at it, he was a quarterback, right, if I'm not mistaken? He was a defensive back. A defensive back? I don't know. because uh, Kirby, Kirby Smart was a, was a cornerback. Cornerback. Yeah. That's what I meant. Cornerback. Uh, he, they posted up a picture of Kirby uh, as, a, as a college football player, and it, he looks a, a identical, just a little bit fatter, and his head's bigger. I mean, seriously, it, it's so well, funny. 40... Adding forty years will do that to you. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, and, I mean, name someone. Name someone that gets slimmer as they get older. That's true. That's true. D- did you guys see uh, a- at the end of the game when he he approached uh, Nick Saban that they didn't really say much to one another? Did you see that? Actually, they did. There's actually a video of Nick Saban being very very gracious and really? actually pr- pretty funny. In uh, when they shook hands. They shook hands, and Nick Saban looked at Kirby Smart, and he said, boy, did you kick our ass in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see and that, then, but he, he kind of, like, just walked away. He didn't really – it didn't look like they were conversating much about anything. Well, and then, getting and then Nick Kirby Saban to show emotion about, is hard enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right, he said that, and then Kirby immediately asked about Jameis Williams if he was going to be okay, mm-hmm. and uh, Saban told him he thought it was a PCL thing. Turned out it was an ACL thing. Mm-hmm. Which it's not going to hurt so, his draft stock, by the way. If, if anybody thinks no, that, no, no, not for nothing. I, I'm not a huge. Yeah, I respect Saban, but not a huge Saban fan. Will Anderson mm-hmm. and Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. What a kind, nice gesture by by Nick Saban too. The little speech he gave about you know players taking the responsibility on the loss, but if it weren't for all the contributions they did make, that they wouldn't have even made it that far. And you know, giving a lot of credit to his players, I thought was really gracious on Saban's behalf. And that's something that you don't see Saban do. You don't even see Bill Belichick do. Still doesn't matter. Georgia kicked their ass. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and you won $4,000, right? Yeah, forty-three. $4,300. $4,300. $4,300 yeah. $4, richer today. Jeffrey, a.k.a. Jeff from Tampa. Hey, hey, listen, that was all due to the preseason, but I told you guys to get in on it yeah. uh, preseason. 
Didn't I? Well, now you know the beef's going to be doing that now that it's legalized here in New York. <laughs> so be re- be ready for him calling you up and chopping at you, chopping at the bit. Right. Jeff, who's going to win the national championship? <laughs> yeah, d- d- don't don't worry. I may purposely lead him astray a few times. Yeah, <laughs> tell him tell him to pick Texas to win it all or something weird like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I think I can give him the old shrug and go. Well, that's gambling. I will say this: <laughs> Alabama's defense looked really, really good throughout the game. Till really the fourth quarter, I mean, some mishaps, and and you're gonna and and, and Jeff, you were telling me uh, it was really a hail mary that that forty yard throw because he saw he saw Alabama go offside. Stetson actually threw that ball. Yeah, 40 I mean, yards. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he makes that touchdown pass. Like, I don't think he even attempts that throw in that game. Uh, had it not, you know, listen, he had the wherewithal to notice that they were offside and see the flag thrown, mm-hmm. so he took the chance on the free play, but. You know, uh, he doesn't make that throw. I think that was second and nineteen or second and twenty or right. something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was like, a deep throw. Yeah. Yep. yep. Right. So, so five yards makes it second and fourteen or whatever. So why not take the chance? But I don't think he makes that throw under normal circumstances. Right. So not only that, the guy that caught it, I think, was a true freshman. So, so is that the guy you're going to be trusting in normal circumstances for that kind of thing? I thought the moment. Right, well, I thought the momentum really, uh, you know, started to spin on Alabama's side when Stetson uh, had that fumble, and I don't, I don't think that was a fumble. By the way, that was a great play. I forget who. No, took... that was a fumble. I didn't think so. I didn't. It's... I didn't think it was a fumble no, either. Because it... I think the recovery was in bounds. The that, guy no, did a very impressive job. The with recovery that, but... was absolutely in bounds. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I did not. I'm with Errol. I didn't think that was a fumble. I didn't think that because when well, he was. When his the, hand... one thing that, ahead, that, the one thing that made me upset in the whole game was, uh, you know, Georgia did a great job of keeping Alabama out of the end zone like the entire game. Right. And, you know, I, I, I still fail to see how the, uh, the referees didn't throw a flag on Cameron Latu on his touchdown catch. Mm-hmm. He picked up his defender and threw him seven yards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't believe that that wasn't called. Yeah, it, 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 to me, a lot of the, a lot of the, I would say this about the referees in this particular game: they were very good. They didn't call a lot of, a lot of bad calls in this game. Mm-hmm. They let the game play out for what it was. I do believe that wasn't a fumble. I, I don't because his hand was going forward. It still, when it was moving forward, it was still, it was still rubbing against his fingers. And in the NFL, the, I know the college football is different. In the NFL, that's not a fumble. Yeah, and they could have called it because it was forward motion. They could have called it intentional grounding if that was the case, yeah. but it wasn't a fumble. It probably was intentionally grounded. Yes, but. that's what I was thinking. They were going to overturn it as initially, uh, but okay, they called it a fumble. Uh, again, I think they were covering Could have cost them on. the game. It yeah. really could have cost them the game, but mm-hmm. great defense from Georgia, and Georgia all season long, they were the best red zone team in all of college football, and they, they showed it against Alabama. As good as Alabama is offensively, as good as Bryce Young is offensively as a quarterback, uh, they shut Bryce Young down on at the red zone. They really did. Bryce Young was running for his dear life. Uh, every time he was moving inside and out of the pocket, there was somebody behind there. There was a safety. There was a corner. Every time he was moving either left or right out of the pocket. So you also could tell that the defenses there was nothing fluent really. Uh, a lot of the even a lot of the big plays were third down. Like you were saying, Jeff, the Georgia touchdown was second down and twenty. Like it wasn't like a fluent, consistent offense by any team at that point. And the red zone got especially choppy. And even the running games, which are good for both teams, Georgia got it going in the second half, but. It wasn't consistently good. And Alabama's really didn't get going at all. I think Robinson only had one big run, and most of his other plays were receiving. So mm-hmm. you really saw the both those 
front sevens were tremendous. You saw in the second half how, uh, like, Robinson on the sideline, he was getting very frustrated. You saw him moving up and down the uh, the sideline. And, and, and the thing is, Nick Saban was screaming in, in, in the beginning of the fourth quarter because he thought certain plays and cer- certain calls that the referees weren't seeing uh, that Georgia was doing, they, he thought at one point in, early in the fourth quarter uh, that they, they were jumping – they were jumping the line. Now, mm-hmm. I I didn't see it, but I I watched different parts. And you will listen to the analyst early in the fourth quarter. They were saying that Nick Saban screaming on the sideline that they're jumping the line. A lot of them thought they were jumping the line, too, and they were surprised it wasn't called. Yeah. But then they looked at the replay, and it was just as good of a release as you could get, from yeah. a, especially from a lot of the outside rushers. And that's, that's studying the team, studying the quarterback, and studying what he does at the line of scrimmage and how he calls his play. So I, I will say this. Georgia... They were the best defense in the country all season long, but I, I, I will. I Alabama played probably one of their best defensive games of the year, and even though it doesn't show because they still Georgia still scored thirty points, I, I still think what Alabama did early in the game really dominating the line of scrimmage. They really did all the way into the third quarter. It was Alabama's game to lose, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the third quarter, fourth quarter, everything started to spin differently, and I think Georgia started running the ball more, and you saw him starting to put the ball, you know, punch the ball down the gut, and and Nick Saban was getting very frustrated because the plays weren't going his way in the fourth quarter. Now, Stetson... He outplayed Bryce Young in the fourth quarter. Now, as good as Bryce Young is, and he's not, I'm not saying Stetson's anywhere close to Bryce Young's caliber because he's not. Stetson's not even going to get into the NFL, all right? We, we all know what Stetson is. But in the fourth quarter, making the big play, ma- making the prestige uh, sh- throw down the field, I, it, it, was, it was Stetson. He was absolutely unbelievable in that game. Now, Bryce Young is going to be the predominant number one pick next year. There's no question that he's going to be unless he tears his ACL or tears his hip like Tua. But I, this guy's better than Tua. This guy is a dual threat. Uh, th- this guy could be the best Alabama quarter- quarterback we've seen come out of Alabama, Jeff, and you know what we're talking about because we know what Mark's going to say. But this could be <laughs> the best Alabama quarterback we've seen in a very long time. Hey, I told you, man, they might have won the battle in the SEC championship, but Georgia ended up winning the war, didn't they? Yes, yes they, they did. did. Uh, to the comments. And not, and not for nothing, just a, just one guy underrated that, well, I, I don't know about underrated, but haven't even mentioned him yet. Maybe the player of the game was N'Kobe Dean. Mm, N'Kobe yep. Dean was terrific. Mm-hmm. And and you haven't even gotten there. And he held his guys accountable and played great defense. He was flying all over the field. And that was part uh, in you know, in part to Brian Robinson's frustration. Kobe Dean was everywhere. Was it his was his name? Watt? Watts or whatever his name is, Watts or on Georgia. The the defensive lineman. I forget his name. With a W, I think his name. I, I he he was fantastic too. He was clogging up the sure. middle. I, I don't remember so was his Davis. Name. Yeah. So was Jordan Davis. Yes. Jordan Davis was terrific too. Yes. You know, and I think that was part of the Alabama game plan. I think that they came in knowing that they weren't really gonna have a ton of success rushing the ball. That's why I think they came out Wyatt. so much. Wyatt, that's what it is. Snug said Wyatt. That's right. Wyatt played very, very good in the second half of the game. Clogged up the middle. Uh, every He was on the field every other play, and, and he was fantastic, too. A, a, a young kid who, it, it, the size of him, I next year, he I don't think he's going to be in a draft this year, but next year he'll probably be a draft pick. He'll be probably a, either a first or second round pick. Fantastic. He, he looked fantastic in the national championship, though. 
And not for nothing, I don't think the score is really going to reflect how close that game really yeah, was because right. uh, because at the end, you know, <clears throat> you, you know, you're saying Alabama's defense gave up 33 points, but that's not the case because one of them was a pick six. Mm-hmm. So that, Georgia's defense or Alabama's defense really only gave up 24 points. Mm-hmm. Carl says Giants owner saying this is the lowest <clears throat> point in Giants history. Ha ha. Must have scared away Tyler tonight. Stark <laughs> says not much to get into Georgia's receivers may play. And just Bama had a bunch of drops. I think we should talk about Maroon Thursday or Teal. Or I hope we talk about Maroon Thursday or Teal Saturday. <laughs> Carl says Georgia deserves the title. No question. Just wonder if Bama had their two top thousand yard receivers and two corners in is the outcome different. <clears throat> Carl says saw the Georgia students right, diving every, into porta potties what... from their roofs. Yeah, Jeff. This is what I hate. This is what I hate about what people are doing. People are only saying, "What if Alabama had their guys?" Well, what if Georgia had theirs? Mm, right. Stuck says, "I agree. It would have been a lot closer." Carl says, "The SID at Georgia didn't do any Stetson any favors by scheduling a 7 a.m. Good Morning America interview. He was still trashed. It was gold." <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. That uh, interview was perfect. Yeah, Ben says, "Carl, hilarious." Stuck says, "LOL. Tell the beef that put all of his money that Arizona State is a lock." <laughs> <laughs> Carl says, "It was a fumble." Jeff isn't contact allowed within five yards of the line of scrimmage. The ball was at the three, and he pushed the guy at the goal line. Uh, hey. Good point. Good. Hey, that's a very good point. That five yard rule. Yeah, it doesn't exist. It's within one yard of the line of scrimmage. Mm. Snuck says the key is always to get a good release. Sometimes it may be a bit premature, but it's always worth the risk. Stetson's Don't tell ne- that to the beef. <laughs> Stetson's next stop is Arena League. Will Mark be coming on tonight to share how Bama did in last, in fact, to win the game? Uh, no, he beef. he was sick. He's not going to come on tonight. No, him of, him and Garard. Yeah, a lot of people in hiding from me. A lot of people in hiding. Him and Gerard will be on next week. Gerard is out of town, and Mark was sick today. <laughs> I will make. Uh, you will have to let me know when they will be on because there's yes, a lot I will, of people Jeff. in don't, hiding right now. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about that, Jeff. Uh, Carl says people people, do, people don't like it when I call the winner preseason and nail the final score. People don't like that very much. Well, I, nobody would. But actually, for now on, people will probably bet on your picks and bet on the game, the final score of the game, because hey, you know, I could have won a lot of money. on on that game. So Carl says if Stetson will be a mortgage firm and never have to pay pay for anything in the future, he is gold for life. And Mark will say if every Alabama great played, Bama wins by sixty. <laughs> well he already think, said I it's a it's it'll... a it's a shoe in that Alabama wins the national champion next year. Na- na- I, think national it, champion. I think it'll be I think it'll actually be a grave disappointment to everybody around the world if they can't find a way to get a special invite for just one of the players or members of the coaching staff into the Masters this year. Can we get <laughs> someone an invite to the Masters? <laughs> well, we'll have Praying to it's Jordan them. Davis. That would be great. That would be. It would very much be great. I mean, seriously, can we get one of these players into the Masters? Don't they deserve something special like yes. that? I mean, it's right up the road. Augusta's right up the road for Athens. Uh, you know, Tony Romo's going to probably try to play for it, so... <laughs> No, he's not. He doesn't have a chance. <laughs> oh, man. No, no, no. The, no, the, mas- the, the Masters are for championship players. <laughs> well, you're, you're right about that. Yeah, top 64 in the world or have, top 64 in the world or have won on the PGA Tour in the last year. That's the only people. Or, or a past champion. There you go. Uh, Jeff, call back after our guests. We'd love to get you back on and finish up talking a little more college football. I, I would love to do it as long as. I'll come back, but you got to do the calling all dogs chant. If I, if I'm all right, we'll do that. We'll do that. Why not? Why not? Jeff, thank you for calling. Uh, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to creator 
of the rookie big board, Matt Hicks, here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loud Mouths. You can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You guys know me. I'm Biggie. Big Errol Marks and Speedy Dampedy. There is no Tyler Harrison, no bald man here today. So I don't know what's going on with him, but I, I think he's at a wake. Am I not mistaken? That he didn't specify the man. I think he went to a wake. But you know Tyler. He's always trying to find a way to make an excuse where he either doesn't show up or he's got something else better to do. So Tyler, if you're listening to this show, eat me. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> What is this, the Animal House float? <laughs> well, I just, you know. By the way, Animal House is a classic, by the way. Yes. If, if nobody's seen Animal House, I mean, you guys are just sitting under a rock or something. But anyways, uh, our, uh, this is our first guest of the day. Very looking, I was very much looking forward to interviewing this guy. Speedy's been talking about these guys all day, posting up all of a social media. We are now talking to creator of the rookie big board, Matt Hicks. What's going on, Matt? Hey, fellas. Glad to be here. Absolutely. You know, Matt, with with everything that's going on in not only the NFL, we have the playoffs right right under our feet, I, I guess under our toenails. Speedy, you, do, you shave, do you shave your toes? No. You don't shave your toes? So you've got hairy toes. In the middle, sure. Oh, my God. Did you hear that, Matt? He doesn't shave his toes. This, <laughs> this is not good, man. I mean, if you're looking to get a woman, make sure you shave your toes because they do not like hairy toes. Matt, I'm sorry you had to endure comments about potential footballers. <laughs> <laughs> but, Matt, uh, college football is now over. Georgia Bulldogs are the national championship champions right now. Uh, what were your thoughts before we get into a little college, you know, players going into the NFL and your thoughts of the draft? Um, what were your thoughts of the Georgia Bulldogs knocking off the Alabama Crimson Tide? Oh, man, I absolutely love it. Uh, it was a great game, first and foremost, you know, in the college football playoff era. Sometimes we've gotten good games, sometimes we haven't, but it was a good game through and through. Um, I will say, you know, I'm an SEC guy, uh, and so seeing Alabama lose is always a good thing for me. You know, when Alabama loses, we all win. So that was a great one. And listen, here's the bottom line. This was the year to knock off Alabama because they're going to come back. They're going to look even better next year. So I'm glad Georgia got it done. Uh, Those fans have been waiting 40-plus years. So they earned it. They put in the investment into that program. They put in a lot of money, a lot of patience. They've been recruiting like crazy. So they built up the roster. They did the right way. They deserve that win. And uh, let's enjoy it while we can because it's probably going to be the Crimson Tide back on top next year. Well, I mean, with a coach named Kirby, I mean, I've never heard a crazier name as a coach. Actually, I have. But, I mean, with all the different crazy names that are right now in college football, I mean, Alabama has Kool-Aid, okay? I mean, there are so many crazy names. And we're going to be seeing this in the NFL for many, many years to come. So it's very, very funny. So why don't we – why don't we get into uh, some of these potential, potential, uh, you know, draft uh, draft stock players that are going into the draft this year, uh, and your thoughts? So 
obviously, we're here in New York, so I want to know your thoughts with the Jets and the Giants. Uh, the Jets are drafting at 4-10 and 10, uh, in this year's draft. They got Seattle's pick at number 10. And the Giants, I think, have 5-7, five and, seven. Five and seven, which uh, they have the Chicago Bears draft pick because they, they traded – uh, they traded down, uh, and 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 obviously getting you know who they got Justin Fields. Uh, what are what are your thoughts? What the Jets should do at four and ten, and the Giants doing uh, at five and seven? Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, uh, I am a Giants fan as well. It's a tough life, uh, so. <laughs> Man, what do I want them to do? I want them to overhaul the entire offense. I mean, it seems like it's just a, a, a you know mismatch together. I mean, you have to look at the top of the class. You see the opportunity in the trenches, right? That's got to jump out to you. Uh, a guy like Evan Neal's got to be towards the top. Uh, you know, just kind of looking at it, uh, looking at that tackle position. We still don't have it shored up yet. I mean, it, it's going to be tough with the Giants. Uh, you know, I'm ready to move on from Daniel Jones. I don't know if they will be yet. Um, just because of the strength of this quarterback class. I don't know if they're going to want to pull the trigger at five or seven. You could see them potentially maybe uh, in day two looking at that quarterback position. So it's going to be tough for the Giants, but we're, I, I feel like it's got to be along the offense, right? I mean, the, the defense is in a pretty solid place right now, but I think one of the other things we're going to have to pay attention to with the Giants is they're going to be cutting cap space like crazy, right? So there could be some guys not on this roster that you might be surprised by just because they need to free up space. So sometimes the draft ends up just plugging in those spots instead of really developing your roster. So is there a positional priority for the Giants, especially with number five? Because it seems like this draft, there's a lot of the pass rushers on top, and then Stingley and Neal are the other quote-unquote elite prospects. So what do you want to do with that pick in terms of position priority? And at picks number seven, would you consider potentially trading back because the Giants do have a lot of hole in this roster? Or is there a prospect that you would have in mind kind of in that top ten area? Yeah, I mean, I think best practice is trading back, right? Especially when you are a roster that needs so much help. And I don't think any GM is coming into the Giants and expecting uh, them to compete next year, right? So it's going to be a little bit of a rebuild here. And you have to think a new GM is going to want to get the most out of it. You know, I could see the Giants, uh, and again, this is going to change wildly, right? The new GM is going to come in, have his own approach to drafting. But I could see them reaching up for one of these uh, wide receivers to really try to make a splash in the offense. You know, I could see a guy like Traylon Burks, Coming to the combine, he's super athletic. He's a big body guy. I could see him coming to the combine and leaving as a top ten pick. And when you have, when you're the Giants and you have those two picks in the top five, if you feel like offensive tackle is a priority, go ahead draft your offensive tackle. And it's almost, I don't want to call it a luxury pick, right? But you feel a little bit more freedom maybe to take one of these skill position guys. And I think if they walked away with Evan Neal and Traylon Burks with, with two of the top 10 picks, you'd be really excited about that. Now the question is, can they actually utilize these weapons? Or are they just going to keep spending draft capital on them? Um, but I, I think that would be it. The other, the other option is quarterback, like I mentioned, but I'm just not sure they're going to want to go there. I could see them falling in love with a guy like Kenny Pickett. Uh, he kind of fits that Giants mold. But again, that new front office is, might sway that direction. As you guys know, we are talking to creator of Rookie Big Board, Matt Hicks. Matt, uh, they've been talking about this draft class being a big pass-rushing draft class. Obviously, on the top of the board, you have Kavon uh, Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. Some people are saying Aiden's going to go number one. Now there are stories that... uh, uh, being that the Jaguars are drafting at one, they want to protect their quarterback. So Neil sitting there wouldn't be stupid. It wouldn't be uh, that far-fetched that that's where they're going to go. Uh, what are your thoughts of this year's draft crop when it comes to pass rushers? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think in terms – it's an interesting draft class because the last couple of years, right, it, it's been quarterback at the top, and you know, and you knew that, and you were just waiting for some of these other guys to come off the board. When you look at a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, he was somebody who I know uh, my, my coworkers there at NFL Draft Bible were ready to put Agent Aiden Hutchinson at the top of last year's class before he suffered that injury. He comes back, has a super productive year. I think for a lot of folks, it's Aiden Hutchinson right now as the as the top edge guy over Kayvon uh, Thibodeau. But but with Thibodeau, you know, it's a little bit more of an athletic player, a little bit more raw. You could, might be able to have a little bit higher of a ceiling with him. Um, and we know, right, production, you don't necessarily need that production at the college level to be uh, an effective NFL player. So I'd say, you know, at the top, those are the two big guys. David Ajabo is somebody who I think – when you start working a tier down is still going to be in that first round conversation. And then I think once you get past those first three edge players, it starts to open up, uh, I'm sorry, George Karloftis as well. So those yes. four, those top four guys, we it all starts love to George. open up a little bit. We yeah. all love George. And uh, Jermaine Johnson is a guy who's getting a lot of buzz right now out of Florida state as well. Super productive uh, final year transferred out of Georgia was originally a bulldog. Uh, and so you, we could be looking at five edge guys in the first round. It's a pretty mm. good class. Um, but I think it will be the, – the discourse you're going to hear over the next four months is going to be Thibodeau versus Hutchinson. So being that it's not really a big quarterback draft class this year, do you see it a case where teams are not going to be as aggressive to trade up, kind of like you saw in 2020 with the pandemic year where they didn't have the combine? Or do you still think because it's a lot of pass rushers, a lot of offensive linemen, line of scrimmage positions, you got to win in the trenches, you'll still see teams trying to trade up? Yeah, that's it, that's an interesting uh, point there. I think quarterbacks are what really what people really jump up for. I think what we might not see as much of is those mid round jump ups, right? Um, but I think there's going to be some quarterbacks that slide a little bit further down the board, right? Uh, if you are a team uh, kind of in that fifteen to twenty five range, and a guy like Sam Howell is still on the board, right? Uh, somebody who at one point in time was projected as a top five NFL draft pick. It looks like his stock is sliding. I could easily see one of those uh, borderline playoff teams wanting to go ahead and go after a guy like Sam Howell, right? So I could see them trading up there. Uh, the other spot that I always look for trade-ups, right, is the end of the first round. There's always teams looking to get in uh, on pick 30, 31, 32, right? Because you get the fifth year, you get that extra year on that rookie deal. Uh, and so you could be looking at a situation, uh, think back all the way to the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, right? They end up trading back into the first round in that Jackson year because they want to get the quarterback on the rookie deal. So if there's a guy who has a lot of upside, uh, you know, a Malik Willis, even if you want to go down the Desmond Ritter route, right? Uh, and you, you're an NFL team that is just going to be looking to develop a quarterback, you might be willing to trade up from, say, early to mid-second round to get that extra year on the rookie contract because we know there's nothing more valuable in the NFL, right, than a rookie on a cheap, or a rookie quarterback on a cheap contract. Matt, there are multiple teams that have multiple first-round draft picks this year. It's crazy. You talk about the Giants. We mentioned the Jets. I'm a Jet fan. Uh, you have, obviously, Philadelphia, uh, the Detroit Lions. I think the Jaguars, too, I think have that. I, I mean, if I'm not mistaken. So you you look at right now where all these teams are sitting, and uh, a lot of people are saying because this, this draft isn't so top-heavy, you could get a gem in the middle of this first round that could probably be the best player in this draft. Uh, do you see any of these teams possibly passing upon a player and, and drafting down and trying to add more draft pick and more draft stock right now moving forward? 
Yeah, I mean, when you look at the NFL draft, right, uh, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. Uh, if you are a, a Philadelphia fan, uh, right, you got three picks in that first round. They're 15, 16, and 19 right now. Wow. You probably feel better about those three picks than Denver sitting there at nine, right? Because mm. you're going to hit. If you get draft three guys in the first round, you're going to hit on one or two of those guys. You can whiff on a first rounder. NFL teams do it all the time, right? Uh, and so if you are a team – uh, kind of sitting in that mid-range round uh, or, or mid-round range, I think trading back is, is something that makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you look at the NFL draft uh, every year, and I haven't really heard, I don't have a good grasp on what this number is yet, but a lot of folks, you know, they look at the first round and they say there's 32 picks, so there's 32 first-round talents in an NFL draft. It's not usually the way it works. Uh, usually there kind of gets consensus as we go through the Combine Senior Bowl week, uh, as we go through all the interviews, teams kind of come to a consensus. And most NFL teams, when they build out their their draft boards, they have usually somewhere between 14 and 20, 22 guys that they consider first-round talents, right? So if you're a team uh, drafting there, right, say you're the Saints at 18. If you get to 18 and all of the players that you consider to be first-round picks are off the board, you're going to trade back, right? Because for you – you could get a, a player at a similar talent level in the second round, and maybe you pick up a fourth round pick too. And at the end of the day, with the NFL draft, you want to give yourself as many shots to hit because there's no perfect prospect, right? Nobody's surefire, nobody's 100%. And so you look at a team like the Patriots are known for doing that mm-hmm. um, because they tend to have a little bit less confidence in the number of first round talent guys they have. And they don't care if they're picking 25 or 52 if that player is considered a second-round value for them. So but before we get before we continue with the draft, you mentioned you're an SEC fan. Who's your team, just out of curiosity? Yeah, I'm a Tennessee alum. It's a tough oh, life. Yeah, that is tough. <laughs> that is tough. So I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask about the, the SEC uh, prospects. You say you watch a lot of SEC football. A lot of these SEC prospects that are in this draft. Is there any sleepers that we should know about? A lot of people know, obviously, about some of the Alabama and Georgia guys and somebody like Burks, like you mentioned. Do you think there's any sleepers that we should know about throughout the SEC? Yeah, that's a really good question here. Uh, thinking about sleepers coming out of the SEC specifically, uh, one guy who's uh, kind of a little bit uh, under the radar right now, and he popped a little bit at the Sugar Bowl. I'm glad folks got to see it. You look at Dontario Drummond out of Ole Miss. Uh, he's got a nice frame to him. Uh, I want to pull up his exact measurements, make sure I, I don't get it wrong here. I, he's coming in around, like I, I believe it's 6'2", 2'10". He's a super athletic guy. Like He took handoffs behind the line of scrimmage. He does a lot with the ball in his hands after the catch. Great yards after catch potential there. And he's, he's kind of faded away a little bit because the Ole Miss offense has so many playmakers that he doesn't, you know, if you're just Googling highlights of Ole Miss, he's not necessarily going to pop as much. Uh, but somebody who I think could sneak into the top 100, uh, maybe early day three, and just be, you know, pl- plug-and-play piece right there uh, in an NFL offense. So he's somebody that I definitely have my eye on. And then, uh, you know, another guy that I think is starting to get a little bit of love here, but it took a little while uh, Brian Robinson out of Alabama is somebody that I've had my eye on for a while. I, I like know him folks too. have kind of caught on to him mm. now that we got into the playoff. But this dude is yoked up. I mean, he is a huge dude. And his athletic testing is going to be ridiculous. Once he hits the combine, puts up those numbers with that weight, uh, he's going to be a top 100 pick, locked and loaded. Uh, and he might not be somebody who's the running back one in an NFL offense year one. But by year two or three, I think he's going to be looking at you know, 175, 200 touches. So, Derrick Henry. Uh, those are two Der- guys Der- that I like think Derrick are Henry still kind of. a little bit too low. 
like a Derrick Henry kind of type of player, right? Because Derrick yeah, Henry, yeah, I, mean, I mean, yeah, he's he's uh, built very similarly. I mean, nobody's built like Derrick yeah. Henry, but he's probably about as close as you can get, right? Yes. Well, Derrick Henry didn't really start and really get his opportunity until his second second at mid mid year. It was like the second mid year when he finally got an opportunity, and then all, all right. of a sudden, Vrabel said, "You know what? I'm keeping this beast in, and I'll let him run and trample all over." Yeah, people. Demarco Murray's played so well, he didn't get to start right away. No. And then he got hurt. Derrick Henry took the job. And he didn't lose uh, it. And he didn't lose it. No, he took over. And he, he's been more of a second-half type of running back. But this year, he that man's just a beast. And if anybody doesn't believe, he's in the last two years, besides the quarterbacks, he's been the all-around best player in the league. He's been fantastic. And Derrick Henry should, if he didn't hurt himself this year, he'd probably be an MVP candidate like we talk about. Cooper Cup and obviously Taylor. Uh, and, and obviously Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, as you guys know, we are talking to the creator of Rookie Big Board, Matt Hicks. Now, Matt, you know, it's so interesting with a lot of these secondary players. There's a couple of good safeties, a couple of good corners that a lot of people think are going to be drafted really, really early in the first round. There is a corner that has everybody's been talking about. His freshman year was unbelievable, remarkable, five-star recruit, sensational player. He gets hurt his sophomore year. He misses his whole sophomore year. Um, and you know who I'm talking about, Derek Stingley Jr. And a lot of people think that the Jets uh, sitting there at four or sitting there at ten if he falls to them, if if the Eagles don't try to move up and try to yeah. snag him up. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Stingley is a guy that a lot of teams will be interested in, a Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey type of player, obviously uh, a guy like Darrell Revis. What? Why is everybody thinking that this kid is going to fall out of the top ten all of a sudden when everybody thought he was a predominant top three pick? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me. I don't evaluate uh, guys in the secondary as closely as I do guys on the offensive side of the ball. But Stingley is a guy that you don't have to be. Uh, you don't have to have an expertise, right, to see him just at times absolutely shut down the field. Super athletic. You mentioned it. There was a reason he was starting for LSU as a true freshman, right, and just being an absolute shutdown corner. Uh, And much like the entire LSU program, he's had some ups and downs here over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. following the national championship. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's an interesting question whenever you're looking at a team. I think there needs to be a real positional need for an NFL team to draft uh, any member of of the secondary, right, with the top four pick, top five pick. And so that's why I think you're starting to see Stingley uh, if you're looking at mock drafts, if you're talking to different folks, you could see him swing in a lot of different directions. But I think the trend over the last couple of years in general has been um, not valuing secondary as high. That being said, you know, I think for me, Stingley, Kyle Hamilton, the free safety is just absolutely ridiculous. I think both those guys end up being top 10 picks uh, one way or another, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's going to come down to the tape evaluation. He's put really good tape out there, and it's going to come down to the athleticism. I think an NFL team is going to go for it. So hybrid players are becoming a big norm in today's game on both sides of the ball, and they're being drafted a lot higher. Uh, Kyle Pitts last year going number four to Atlanta. Is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? And then in 2020, the guy I wanted the Giants to take was Isaiah Simmons. He could play both linebacker, corner, safety, whatever. So do you think that'll become more of a norm and also be drafted early? earlier if they are quote-unquote hybrid players like you're seeing these two players and if so how long do you think that trend will take to become that norm 
Yeah, that's great. I was pounding the table for Isaiah Simmons that year too. Uh, but alas, that would have been too good of a pick for us. Um, you know, when I'm yeah, they probably at... would have misused him. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's better for him that he didn't end up in New York. Um, you know, I, I do think the NFL is moving towards these these uh, these tweener type guys, and really, what it is, I think it's a result of of uh, playmakers uh, or offensive play callers, I should say. Just being, just embracing, right? Everybody in the NFL is looking for an edge, and I think these uh, creative playmakers uh, are scheming up these tweener type guys better, right? You're seeing a more hybrid edge position uh, in that linebacker role, being a lot more fluid. Uh, and you think about the ability to have a guy, uh, you know, maybe an undersized linebacker who, in past years, you would have written him off, and now he turns into Jeremy Chin, right? And so you have the ability, uh, if you think critically about these guys. Uh, one of the advantages as well, you know, we're coming up on Senior Bowl week here. Uh, coaches have the ability to play these guys at the Senior Bowl in different positions. So NFL teams are able to see, all right, this is what this guy looks like uh, as a strong safety. This is what he looks like, uh, you know, coming off of the edge. And, and you kind of get a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, when you look at the offensive side of the ball, there's a there's a lot of talent in the NFL at the wide receiver position, right? Uh, there's different levels of it, and there's certainly elite talent and just good talent. But you look at the tight end position, and there is a huge teardrop, right, between who can actually go out there and make it difficult for defense to scheme against, a la Kyle Pitts, right, uh, and, and who is just going to be able to put his hand in the ground and smash the guy in front of him, which is valuable, right? But most teams are carrying three or four tight ends now. And they can rotate in, you know, your Blake Bells to go in there and smash somebody in the face. But there's only enough uh, Kyle Pitts out there, right, that could actually open up the field. So I think for NFL teams, there's value in knowing that that week the defense needs to think differently about how they're going to scheme against you, right? So I, I like that you brought up the tight end position in general because I think that's the that's the position that offensive uh, coaches are really looking to utilize as they try to find some edge to the game, right? We're always looking for a new edge on offense. As you guys know, we are talking to creator of the rookie big board, Matt Hicks. Uh, Matt, last question for me, uh, the quarterbacks. Now, every year we're trying to find that quarterback that's going to stand out and he's going to be the next big superstar in the NFL. Over the years, over the last three or four years, Wow, there was a Kyler Murray. Uh, last year, obviously, was the traditional, uh, obviously, Trevor Lawrence, where everybody says he's the, he's the no-miss no type of player. You're going, you're, going, you're going to have a superstar. Zach Wilson, all these different quarterbacks, Justin Fields. This year, there isn't a quarterback that really stands out. I mean, there are a couple of Lamar Jacksons. Uh, I, I say Lamar Jacksons because a couple of players really kind of mimic the way he plays, even though it's not working anymore in the NFL. Ask the Baltimore Ravens. Well, they might be looking for a quarterback in this year's draft. Um, how about the kid from uh, Pittsburgh, Pickett, who a lot of people really, really like. Uh, he's had a great year. The year before, he didn't really play well. But this year, he's really shown a lot of people why maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers should draft a quarterback and, and fill in for Ben Roethlisberger. Now he's retired. Is there a quarterback in this year's draft that you believe uh, could be uh, that next big superstar in the NFL? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I think this is a good quarterback class in general. Uh, it's not a great class, and I think that's why it's getting knocked a little bit. You know, you talked about Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is currently my quarterback one. I think he comes with a nice floor for an NFL team. Uh, 
there's there's not a ton uh, that Kenny Pickett does at an elite level. I do think that he uh, has very high level of accuracy. He has a very uh, high level of mental processing, and he has great arm talent in the sense that he can really adjust his velocity on the ball at different levels of the field and fit the ball where it needs to go uh, in a way where his receivers are going to get it. So I think Kenny Pickett comes with a nice high floor. He's not super mobile. He's athletic enough to move the pocket. And I think you can get by in today's NFL with that level of athleticism, right? You don't need to have that Lamar Jackson style. So I do think Kenny Pickett's going to end up being quarterback one. But when you're looking for somebody who has superstar potential in the NFL – you know, old Mrs. Matt Corral does really jump out to me. And the reason that I say that is that Matt Corral has only been a full-time starter in college for one year. Uh, and, and he, you know, he earned that job as a uh, redshirt sophomore. Uh, and so he really, relatively early in his career, he won that job. And now he's launched into the NFL. He's got a fantastic arm. He has great mobility. So he does have that dual threat potential there. And so I think if you're looking for ceiling, he's there. Malik Willis has upside. I mean, he has probably the most upside in this year's draft class. Huge arm, a pure athlete in terms of rushing ability, comfortable rushing the ball, good field vision, uh, elusive in space. Now, uh, Malik Willis, he needs to hone in those mechanics, right? And so what's unfortunate about the quarterback position in the NFL is Malik Willis, uh, his success in the NFL is most likely going to depend on whether the organization he lands at is going to be good enough at developing him, right? Josh Allen landed in an organization that knew how to develop him. Malik Willis, I hope he does too because he's got great upside, but how many quarterbacks that are talented have we seen uh, their talents wasted, right, in organizations Jamarcus that don't know how to develop Russell being one of them. Yeah, there you go. Well, <laughs> that was probably – that was probably a little bit more on his own, but uh, Ryan Leaf. I mean, <laughs> oh, that, that was a lot on his own too. <laughs> didn't help. So, uh, last one for me. Uh, just uh, one uh, Super Bowl pick and one coach that you would like for the New York Giants. Oh boy, that's a good one. Um, you know, I, I will say uh, my. I don't. I don't know if it's a good pick. They're down a little bit right now. I'll tell you my homer pick. Uh, I, I would love the Bills to get in there, man. Okay. I, I don't know. It's just a team. I feel like organizationally, they've built this team the right way, right? They really they really scrapped that team down. They built it up the right way. Um, a great fan base, super passionate fan base. So I, I would love to see the Bills get there. That's who I'll be rooting for. I don't know if that's a good pick. I'm not telling you to put your money on that, uh, but that's where I'll put my, uh, my interest in. Uh, and then uh, coach for the Giants, man. I got to tell you, I haven't really dug into that. I have just been enjoying the last 24 hours, really <laughs> embracing. Uh, and I, and it's, not, it's not just to slam Joe Judge, uh, but the Giants have been an organization for so long, uh, in my opinion, where they haven't wanted to adapt to what's going on in the NFL. And I just hope that in this front office change with the GM and the coach, that it is a full uh, a rehaul of their approach to the game, right? I mean, even during the championship seasons, right? We were always just kind of getting there and getting hot at the right time. I want them to really take a forward-thinking approach to the NFL. So I don't have perfect names for you yet, but I, I got hope one. they're spicy. I hope they're not recycled coaches. I got one uh, who got fired for no damn reason, Brian Flores. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's a good coach, man. Uh, a yeah. good coach. I, I mean, come on, look at what he did with that. I mean, they were garbage uh, on purpose, right, three years ago. They were intentionally bad. Uh, 
And he did great with that organization, well-respected by the coaches from what a lot of folks are saying. So, yeah, that'd be great. That made no sense. They were intentionally bad, and they still kept the Colts out of the playoffs and the Patriots from getting a bye. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't make any sense in my eyes. I don't understand why the mind. But that's the Dolphins' way. I mean, with the ownership over there and the stupidity over there, ask Adam Gase. He's right now coaching high school football. Thank you, Jets, for bringing him in for two years and making me throw up. We apologize to the high school that has to be coached by Adam Gase. (laughs) (laughs) And whatever potential high school is going to be coached by Joe Judge in the future. Same guys, cross division rivals. Maybe we got to put them in the same town. He'll be the quarterback. He'll be the quarterback coach for the, that high school football team with Adam Gates. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> what a team! Anyways, uh, Matt, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. I'm over on Twitter at the FF underscore educator. Mm. And Matt, we'll definitely get you on again as uh, the draft comes along. Uh, we like to get a bunch of our experts on at the same time and kind of go back and forth and ask trivia questions and see who knows more about going into this draft and who doesn't. And we'll give a prize to the winner. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to do something like that, and we'll, we'll see who knows more about this draft. How's that sound? That sounds great. I love a good prize. Absolutely. Well, there will be. Maybe it'll be a Giants jersey, an official one, with the new coach on the back of it. <laughs> I'll play a good prize. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Hopefully it's a player that'll still stay with the team for, for that time. That's true, too. It prob- they'll probably all be gone by the end of next year. So, anyways, Matt, thank you for joining us, bud. I appreciate it, fellas. Have a good night. Absolutely. We were just talking to the creator of the Rookie Big Board, Matt Hicks. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen... Oh, man, we'll be talking to a very special guest. We will be talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop, and we're going to talk about his new book, Talking to Goats, here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. What? What? No Tyler Harrison. Nope, nope, nope. He's probably trying to get some hair, you know, a hair club for men or something. <laughs> Rogaine or something. He's hiding somewhere because he's not here. Uh, as you guys know, you can call us at 631-672-3108. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As you guys know, I am Errol Marks. I don't have to pronounce my name because you can sound it out. Or you could just ask Speedy Petey what my name is. And on the other side of the board, as you know, the producer and uh, gully man dripper, Mr. Speedy Petey. Well, uh, how did you like Matt? You like Matt? Yeah. I like Matt, too. He's a good, young, smart kid. Knows what he's talking about. Uh, Knows a little bit more than Tyler, so maybe we should bring him on the show (laughs) and, uh, you know, fire Tyler or something. Because at least he'd show up to the show and he doesn't. So, anyways. uh, Well, Speedy was uh, posting this all over social media. I read a little bit about this guy. Uh, Very interesting guy. And he he wrote a, a fantastic book called Talking to Goats. Uh, and we we have him on. We are now talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop. What's going on, Greg? Not too much, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, Speedy, uh, when he posts up things, 
he he takes things to the next level. And when I checked out a little, I never read your book, so I definitely got to go check out your book, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, the person that you are and, and how how you moved from one position to the other, it's a pretty sensational story. And now you're with uh, you've been with Sports Illustrated for a little while, and uh, you're a senior writer over there. So what is that? How does that and what does that feel like working for Sports Illustrated? Well, the mostly senior writer just mostly means I'm old, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I always age. wanted to write for the New York Times and for SI, and I was at the Times. My wife didn't love New York. I definitely did. I was there for seven years, and then I switched over so I could move back to Washington State, but, uh, you know, we have maybe 25, 30 senior writers, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's still one of my favorite things. I mean, you get to go cover whatever you want. Uh, stories are always interesting, and uh, yeah, it's it's a dream job for sure. All right, so t- talking to goats, you never talk to me, and I am a goat by myself. I mean, Speedy, give me the goat sound that we were working on before the show. That's not a goat. It's bad, you know. Come on, use the right term over here. Anyways, um, tell us a little bit about your book and what made you decide to write a book like this. Yeah, you know, I've been trying to do different forms. You know, I do some TV writing for Showtime on the show All Access. I do a lot of documentary work in terms of scripts. And Jim Gray actually approached me with writing a book that was sort of about his life, but more about the people that were in it. You know, you're talking Pete Rose and that dust up. You're talking LeBron James and the decision. You're talking a lot of time with Tom Brady over the years, who I'm sure is your guys' favorite. Mm. You know, you're talking about living in John Madden's apartment in Dakota and Manhattan. Uh, and it, the idea was to explore his life through all the people that he's interacted with. And I remember going to the NBA Hall of Fame with him this past spring when he got inducted. And it was just wild to be like, I'm usually on the outside of the entourage, kind of looking in, you know, like hanging out and everyone wants to get rid of me. But, you know, Jim has the kind of life where, you know, Mike Tyson was there for him. Dr. J was there for him. I mean, the Mark Anastasio, the Brewers owner, was there for him. And the idea was to kind of explore what makes these people successful, you know, beyond a level that Jim or I have reached and really tell the book through their stories rather than his. So in terms of the focus of the of these different legends, because there's many of them in different uh, in different sports that I saw when I saw the cover of the book from individual sports like Michael Phelps and Mike Tyson to obviously team sports like Michael Jordan and Joe Montana and things like that. So how do you portray those kinds of things differently and how do you judge in terms of the philosophy of a legend, a goat, how would you describe that and in ter- portray it in terms of comparing? Because a lot of people debate who is the goat in particular sports or positions. Right. And you kind of run into like the basic semantic problem, right? Like goat means one, mm-hmm. you know, in, in general. And we had to kind of define how we would do that. You know, it, to me, it was kind of like, has this person transcended sports in some way? And then the lens on how they're written about depends on Jim's interactions with them. So the, the chapter of Mike Tyson is about all the crazy interviews they had. You know, you, you might remember the, you know, the one about eating children or, you know, the one after the ear biting, like Jim was like with him for all those. So it takes on sort of Tyson's personality. You know, the chapter of Muhammad Ali is a lot deeper and it's about, you know, this 30 year relationship they had when Jim's first interview was with Muhammad Ali when he was like 18 years old and then how that evolved over time all the way until Ali died. And then there's, you know, just a bunch of characters. John Madden plays a central role, you know, really interesting in light of everything that just happened. Uh, Bill Walden has a bunch of wild quotes in there. Uh, We take you through the decision. We take you through everything that happened with Pete Rose. And, 
you know, the, the sort of just general baseline was like, is this someone we will talk about forever? You know, so that's Kobe Bryant. It's Michael Phelps. It's a level of sports personalities that I think most people don't get to know. As you guys know, we're talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer, Greg Bishop. We're talking about his book, Talking to Goats. Uh, obviously, if you don't know who Jim Gray is, well, then you're sleeping under a rock. I don't know what the heck you are. But uh, Jim Gray, I actually met Jim years and years ago. I've, I, I've been in the business for about 10 years. Uh, he's one of the bigger, more known American sportscasters. One of my favorites and one of my mentors, Ian Eagle, uh, is, it knows Jim pretty well. Tell us a little bit about like just following him around and and and, and just talking to him or be, just being on the phone and having a conversation about all the different stories that Jim was telling you from one story to the other, a Tom Brady story to a Mike Tyson story to uh, I don't know uh, a Nick story with Patrick Ewing. What was it like just hanging out with Jim Gray and, and getting all the information and writing a book like this? Yeah, well, it was actually pretty interesting. You know, I deal with famous people a lot in my job, but it's just like kind of a different level. You know, we'll be riding in the car and he'll get like a FaceTime from Tyson, you know, or something to that effect. And mm -hmm. what really stood out to me are what you just said, the stories, you know, whether it's, you know, meeting Yoko Ono, you know, while living at John Madden's apartment or, you know, the way that Dr. J kind of adopted him as part of his family when he was starting his career in Philadelphia or how the decision came to be, or all the time that he spent with Tom Brady over the years. I mean, there's just a level of depth, I think, to his relationships that stood out to me. Uh, most of them continue on to this day. And, you know, the, it was just story after story after story. In fact, I was, uh, I had a long drive home today, and I was actually talking to him, and we were just telling Madden stories for like an hour, you know, and he was talking about this deli they used to go to in New York and how Madden would like look in the back. He'd say, Jim, what's the, what's the difference between aged beef and old meat? You know, and you can just picture him with like a telestrator, like drawing it out, you know, and he's going to Madden's funeral next week. And it, it just, uh, the amount of stories, I think that people that have been in the business that long, but also have reached that level of access and are able to tell, I mean, it's, it's just different than now, you know, I think they were a lot closer with people. And I think, you know, that really comes across in the stories that he tells, for sure. So you actually texted me about an hour ago that you actually were with uh, Cooper Cup's parents today. Yeah. And it leads me to this question because, again, a lot of athletes all have their close people, whether it's whether it's family, whether it's close friends, whether it's a girlfriend or whatever. Is there a difference in terms of when you've had your experiences with them in comparison to maybe another athlete's pers uh, impersonation of him, a Hall of Fame a voter, anything like that, or even it's just anyone in the industry like a broadcaster? Is there a different philosophy of the way they think of these guys that there is different? And if so, what are some of those experiences like? You mean in terms of like how I would look at that interview versus like the ones? Yeah, how they're portrayed. Like how, how do they how are they portrayed differently by those that are closer to them? Yeah, you know, I think guys a lot of times sort of um, go with what they're comfortable with. So you'll see a lot of athletes like Aaron Rodgers, for instance, right now does a lot of his interviews on the Pat McAfee show. You know, Jim's relationships were pretty long lasting. And then I think, you know, something like today, like I spent the day with the Cups in Yakima, Washington, you know, we went to like Cooper's favorite burger restaurant and, you know, kind of a hometown tour. Went by the high school, hearing old stories. Dad couldn't draft him on his fantasy team and he ended up losing <laughs> to the guy that did. And you're really just trying to get a sense, you know, of like what his life's really like. What are the dots that connect to like this crazy season that he's having? And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of different with every guy. Some guys you go back to all the time. Some guys you're in regular contact with. 
you know, I still talk to some of the Jets from the time when I covered them back in nine and 10 and 11. And, you know, to me, it's, it's sort of individual basis. But one thing I've noticed about a lot of these guys is they're much more normal than you think, you know, uh, flawed mm -hmm. in some instances, funny in others. They're just not, they're not like as famous as they are famous, if that makes sense. They're regular people. Some of them are great. Other ones you'd rather not deal with again. But um, <laughs> in general, interacting with them is more normal, I think, than people would expect. Well, speaking of an ex-Jet, uh, I did a show for uh, almost six months with Eric Coleman. Me and him were doing a show here on Long Island. Now he does a sports betting show on MSG. He's doing uh, – sincerely, he's doing very, very well, and I'm very happy for him. He's a friend. Uh, very happy, and we, we did a show. We had a great show, very, very funny. I disagree with a lot of things he had to say when it comes to comparing and contrasting Allen Iverson to James Harden, which I think is ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's a whole other story, and we're not going to get into that right now. Um, what are your thoughts to, you know, when you're around these athletes, and I, I've been around a lot of them, and I was an athlete myself, what is it like being around a superstar athlete that, you know, is considered a god in their sport, considered – uh, a different personality to other people, but you as a writer uh, getting the information and, and, and putting on a piece of paper for them to, you know, for, for what they want you to know and for, for all the other people to know uh, about a story about themselves or even just about who they are, you know, behind the scenes. What is it like doing that? Yeah. You know, one thing I do now that I didn't do as much when I was younger is I really try to explain what I'm trying to get, you know, like this is kind of how I see the story and like, this is what I think it looks like, <laughs> but I want to really hear what they have to say because often I think these guys look at like people that do the job I do and they think that you come in with your story pre-written and you're sort of just trying to fill in the blanks and, you know, it's like a Mad Libs exercise, you know? So with Cooper, for instance, the, you know, the idea is like what went into this kind of season, you know, and I think there's maybe a sense from people that don't follow the NFL as closely that it just kind of came out of nowhere. And so what I'm trying to do with the piece, which will be out next week mm -hmm. is really kind of connect those dots, you know, like how did it, how did this come to be? It's not as surprising as it may look. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of good fortune. It took a lot of, you know, growing up in Yakima and playing in Eastern Washington and all these things for him to then win the triple crown, which is pretty amazing. And I think it really helps to kind of bring it to a normal level. You know, I, I did our preview cover on Dak Prescott, for instance, and, the idea was like we sort of define him by these events that have happened to him. His brother died by suicide. He broke his ankle. His mom died from cancer when he was in college. And I just thought there was a lot more to it than that. And when I sat down with him at the cigar bar in Dallas, you know, this summer, the idea was like to explore how all these events brought him to the season and whether it sort of steeled him to do this thing that no Cowboys quarterback has done in a quarter century and, you know, the, the idea is you, you talk through it with them. Like, it sounds like even though you and Eric disagree, you're able to sort of talk through how you see things where I think a lot of times these guys are just expecting the same questions. I really like to ask weird stuff. I like to throw them off and talk about books and podcasts and anything. Dak and I share podcasts and book recs to this day. And I think it's just to kind of bring it to a level of human to human rather than like famous person and totally not famous person, right. you know, and they tend to, I think, respond better to that. Or if they don't like it, they probably don't want the kind of story that I do. I want to know if there's anything in terms of your book or even the experiences you've had that addresses a lot of the controversial legends a lot of the time. We're seeing two of them now with the Baseball Hall of Fame with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and also Kurt Schilling, too, like a different, for a different reason. 
You saw Terrell Owens. It took three tries for him to get in the Hall of Fame. And they're kind of portrayed differently. And even some of the guys you mentioned, somebody like Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali that were uh, like outspoken the way they were. So how do you how do you how do you relate to those kinds of things and judge legend when it comes to those kinds of things? Are the scandals something that downgrades them or is it part of their story? Is it something good like you were talking about with Pete Rose? Yeah, I would say like uh, two parts to that. Like one is that I I think that I I would judge their like goatness, for lack of a better term, based mostly on what they did compared to their era. You know, so with the baseball guys, I sort of think if they were all doing something that like, you know, maybe it's uh, odd to penalize, you know, a couple guys who were famous that got caught. In terms of a story, like I'm attracted to the controversy. You know, I think that there's always something to do there. I think a lot of people cover sports leagues where they talk to owners and GMs and it's sort of a top down view. I like talking to guys about what their life is like, you know, and I I did a you mentioned Terrell Owens. I did a story on him for where they now a couple of years ago and I spent two days in L.A. with him <laughs> and we're like driving around and he's like in a rental car with like, a you know, one of those spare tires on it and <laughs> talking about like all he ever really wanted to do was like go to a desert island and disappear because he understands how people think about him. And he realizes that he put himself in this situation and that so much of the, the problem with him resulted from things that he himself did. Like that to me is really interesting material to like work with. Mm. You know, it's like it's not to present him as like redeemed or like perfect or even better than his typical caricature would be. It's more to understand, like, how did he get there? What does he think about it? What does he think about being thought of this way? Like, you know, I, I pitched a story recently they didn't respond yet, but like, I, I think Jake Cutler is really interesting, you know? And like, now he's like, uh, so is his wife. <laughs> he's, like, he's like running a, a, for a school board seat in Illinois. And we got all this vaccine debate raging in schools. And I think that would be a really interesting piece. Like how does the most hated man in sports, you know, ultimately like come to want to run for a school board seat because of how he feels about vaccines. And to me, like rather than just sort of condemn him for it, I'm more interested in like, why does he think that way? What does he think he can get out of it? And that kind of tension and, and, you know, just character, like, I, I usually like writing about that more because I think it usually reads, you know, leads to more rich, interesting characters. I actually like Jay Cutler, by the way. I, I think he's a very funny guy. Uh, followed him from college football. I think he played for Vanderbilt. Yep. And then I mm-hmm. uh, came to the NFL with the Broncos. He played very well for Brandon Marshall. Uh, that was a interesting connection, and then going, you know, going to Chicago. I and... still can't picture on a school board though. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like Jay Cutler. At all. I, <laughs> I will say this: uh, Jay Cutler's show was pretty amusing. Okay, living on a farm and and hanging out with his beautiful wife, who's like a, a clothing designer supermodel, on a TV show from. California. Interesting. We are talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop. We're talking about his uh, his book. Uh, obviously, uh, if you guys haven't checked it out, go check it out. Talking to goats. When you talk about some of these these unbelievable athletes, but how about some of the other people that you probably wanted to interview, like the President of the United States? Maybe uh, you wanted to interview uh, Donald Trump or or Ronald Reagan, or one of these guys. Is there a particular person that you haven't interviewed yet that you would absolutely love to interview in the future? It's a great question. Well, the good thing for the Talking to Goats tie is Jim's interviewed the last 10 U.S. presidents, so it's actually a chapter in there. And I'm sure you guys will be shocked, but we spent a lot of time weighing how much to include on Trump and what to say, uh, you know, as we went through the writing process. Uh, If I had to pick somebody to interview of anyone I'd never have, Oh, that's tough. 
I'm trying to think even. Gandhi? I, I don't have a good answer Gandhi? for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I've interviewed most of the people that I'd want to. Probably would be in a different sport. Right. You know, to me, like somebody like LeBron James or – but I've done a lot of tennis. I'm just, like, cycling through the sports in my head, you know. Um, yeah, you know, it would be somebody with an interesting story. Let's say Jay Cutler for now, and I uh, hope he says yes. <laughs> so is is there any athlete that you've interviewed that you were like, wow, I did not expect him to have this kind of personality to him and maybe something that a surprising element of his, either his personality or his life, something in uh, outside off the field, something like that. And if so, who is it? Yeah, I would say Dak Prescott's a good example. Like every athlete I go to see, like whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or whoever I'm writing about. They always say that they're like a real normal human person, you know, that they, they can connect and they're just like me. and They have kids and, you know, a, a heavy schedule, blah, blah, blah. That's like the first guy, like I, he really felt like a normal human being, which kind of surprised me. Like he ordered DoorDash at his house for us. You know, we like he's got a, a golf course in the backyard with like which makes him totally not normal. I realize, but, you know, it's like uh, one green and like three different aiming parts, you know, out there goofing around. I mean, and. He just struck me as like a kind of guy you'd like to have a beer with, you know, and, uh, you know, somebody like that is revealing. I'll give you another example. New York sports. I thought Eric Mangini was incredibly interesting to cover. And I covered him and Rex Ryan at the times. My first job was covering the Jets. And Rex was interesting in a totally different way, a totally bombastic way. But if I had to say, like, which guy would I go get a beer with and who might I learn more from? I thought that Eric was way more interesting than he portrayed himself to be in press conferences when he was, you know, essentially Bella checking his way through them. And I just think a lot of times you're kind of surprised by that. I've talked to guys who like are into drawing comic books. I've talked to guys who are into, you know, four wheelers. I've, I went uh, dog food shopping with Terrence Crawford, the boxer one time. I, I mean, it's just, uh, these guys are more normal than we think, and they have a wide range of interests. And usually that's what I'm trying to find out, you know. What what do they think about something you wouldn't expect? You know, talking about comic books, uh, I see a bunch of them behind you. Uh, I see you're a <laughs> no, collector. Are, these are my Super Bowl covers. Oh, those, oh I, I thought they were yeah, comics. Yeah. I didn't see them back, but those are... No, my buddy does the Warhol thing for me. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? It's, very, it's very interesting. And I, I will say this, man. In every... Every corner of the world that anybody goes, if you're a writer, if you're a personality, I know Howard Stern, you know, personally, I've done some work for him and as a DJ and, uh, you know, having a conversation with him, everybody thinks the guy's a crazy lunatic, an idiot, an ass. Meanwhile, the guy donates more money, more time to trying to help animals out here on the island, trying to help people. So, I, I mean, and by the way, Eric Mangini, I, I, Eric Mangini, the Jets made a big mistake letting him go. The whole thought thought process of bringing in Brett Favre, he told the, the Jets and Woody Johnson told Eric Mangini, bring him in. If he doesn't play well, he doesn't do this, you can get rid of him. You can pick any quarterback you want. Instead, they keep Brett Favre and they get rid of Eric Mangini. So uh, the Jets didn't do him right when he walked away from Bill Belichick after Bill Belichick took his his clothes, his his box of stuff in, in the office over there in, in, in New England and throw it outside the door because he didn't want him to go over there to Jets and coach the Jets. So it's, it's just a shame how he got treated by the New York Jets. And, and to me, I think if you look at all the draft stock that Eric Mangini had, I mean, you're talking about some of the best players the Jets have ever had. Uh, Ferguson, Mangold, Revis. These guys 
were were Eric Mangini's picks. They were his his guys. So uh, for anybody to take shots at Eric Mangini, and a lot of people don't like Eric Mangini still here. Uh, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. I loved covering that team. All the guys you mentioned, you know, Revis Island, I still remember it. I did like the Art of Trash Talk with Bart Scott where we like watched wrestling videos at his house. <laughs> Get me to do some sort of cross-faced chicken wing thing. I don't know what it is, but I did it. Uh, Chris Jenkins like cooked for me because he was writing, I was writing about how he was like healthier and losing weight. I did like Nick, Nick Mangold, uh, how much he loves wine and how he would go on these trips every summer. I'm kind of weird and like to explore things that way. Revis and I built like the perfect corner one time with the, you know, everybody's different attributes. It was a really, really fun uh, team to cover. Bart Scott was absolutely a riot, you know. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. <laughs> so I, I was going to ask about uh, the like kind of modern, like future branding stuff like we're seeing now with social media, also the college players now with the NIL rules now being able to brand the way they did. So how do you think that'll change the world of these other athletes? Like you're saying, they're more not like jock-like and more normal, like they like other things more than people think. How do you think that'll change the perception of the way we see these athletes as a whole, both in college and in professional sports? Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting because to me, the key is like, are they going to be revealing? You know, we see things like the Players' Tribune or, you know, places where they have a lot more control over the content. And I think most of the time I listen to these podcasts or watch these shows or read these stories and think it's not that interesting. Or maybe there's one sentence in there that really draws me into another story. I think if guys take control of their own stuff in a way where they're still revealing, where they're revealing more of themselves, you know, this is the first year a college athlete ever had like a representative reach out to me. That was kind of weird. That's definitely going to change some stuff. I just feel like the, the more famous they get in general, the more they're cordoned off, you know, the more that it's harder to get to them, the more you get in 25 minutes in a conference room as opposed to like, you know, hanging out with them and seeing a little bit more of who they actually are. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to actually maybe my guess is we'll know less about them, like less actually interesting revealing stuff. But I really hope that I'm wrong because there's so many ways to like get your message out now. The question is, are you doing it just as a brand? Is it really easy to see through exactly what your aims are? Have you said anything interesting in the podcast that you're putting out? I think there are definitely guys that do it really well. You know, to me, Brandon Marshall's podcast is pretty interesting. Um, and I think that you're seeing more guys like do their own production too. You know, Kevin Durant did the documentary in PG County. You've just seen a lot of that stuff. I think there's room for all of it. I just hope that we don't lose, you know, sort of these windows into guys that are actually revealing and instead get these sort of prepackaged, you know, talking points where everything just feels like a presidential tour. And to me, that's the stuff I just totally tune out. So I hope it's not as, as bad in the future as I think it will be, but there's not really a lot of reason to think that it won't get more constricted. Quick, get us some better while you have the chance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, some of this, some of the stuff that they put on Showtime, these talk show podcasts. I think it's ridiculous. You have uh, uh, Jackson and uh, what's his name, Matt Barnes, doing a show. They got all these basketball players on, from Kobe Bryant, may rest in peace, to Kevin Durant, and these guys. I I was never a Matt Barnes fan, never. And and, and some of the stories that I've heard about him on and off the court. I have no respect for somebody like that. And I got to watch his crazy ass on a podcast show show that Showtime's paying him. And I'm watching this and I'm like, 
This guy doesn't even know how to ask a question. Why the hell is he running a podcast? But that's just me. I don't know. Steven Jackson, too. I have a, a, enough to say about him with his quirky attitude, too, on and off the court, too. But let's not get into that right now. Before we let you go, my friend, and I really appreciate you giving us the time. Um, to me, uh, when, when you talk about uh, you know, making your picks on who you think is going to win the Super Bowl, who you think is going to win the NBA championship, I know you're a sports fan. Who do you got going to the Super Bowl, and who do you have winning the Super Bowl this year? I picked uh, Packers and uh, Chiefs. I like the narrative arc of that uh, selection. I feel like the AFC is really a weird conference to call. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be pretty interested in see how if Derrick Henry comes back and they just kind of steamroll in Tennessee. But I also kind of feel like they could lose to, like, the Patriots if they beat the Bills, like, the first game they play. And so I think the Packers have been the most complete team throughout the year, which is wild with the amount of turbulence they've gone through and the amount of, you know, sort of infighting that's been pretty obvious, I think, from even the outside. Um, I think the NFC is a stronger conference, so I'm more interested to see how some of those work. But to me, the Bucks are pretty banged up. Uh, Cowboys have looked amazing at times and kind of struggled at others. So I would love a Packers-Chiefs because I think it's Super Bowl one rematch. It's LaFleur and Reed. It's, you know, Rodgers and Mahomes. And I think it would be, from a narrative standpoint, really interesting. I picked the Packers to win in the close game. Yeah, which just means you should bet somewhere else because I'm never right. So, Well, I, I will tell you this. Uh, before the season started, Speedy will even come out and tell you, I had the Packers in Tennessee going to the Super Bowl, and both of them are number one teams. I do believe Derrick Henry's coming back, and I wouldn't be surprised now with uh, uh, coming – what was his name again who they brought up, the linebacker? Cummings, Cunningham. Cunningham coming to the team. It's really transitioned this defense to be one of the best. They were one of the worst defenses in the league the year before. Now they're one of the best defenses in the league. And they've really transitioned not to be an offensive team as much as you thought they were going to be this year. A.J. Brown wasn't 100% healthy. Julio Jones that they brought in really wasn't 100% healthy. And Derrick Henry was out half the season. So, uh, I, I mean, now they're going to be at full strength and the defense – I, I'm not a big Ryan Tannehill fan, okay? I don't. I, I think his wife is beautiful, okay? That's what stands out in my eyes with Ryan Tannehill. And, and the fact that Adam Gase, every single quarterback that's gotten away, away from Adam Gase besides Sam Donald has actually become something, okay? So that's a, that's a whole other story. But um, but uh, I would agree with you. I think, But I, I picked Tennessee in the beginning of the year to, to win the Super Bowl. I think this is Aaron Rodgers' last hurrah with the Green Bay Packers. I think he's gone next year. I think he's going to be looking elsewhere, maybe the Broncos, maybe somewhere else. There's, there's quite a few teams that will be looking for uh, the best quarterback in the NFL, and hands down, the best quarterback. I don't care what anybody says. As good as Tom Brady is, he's the best. And, and, and by the way, did you like, did you like what those uh, writers were saying? Like, I won't, ro- I won't vote for Aaron Rodgers because he's a bad guy. Could you believe a writer would say that? where you know, these writers have the opportunity to vote, and they're throwing themselves under the bus. If I was the NFL right now, I'd be like, you know what? You're not voting anymore. Yeah. I mean, what, am I surprised? No. Uh, do I agree with it? Absolutely not. I think too often in our business, in my business, the, the idea is to moralize from up high on the mountaintop. <laughs> uh, most writers I know do not live perfect lives. Uh, most would not welcome the kind of scrutiny that they bring to the world. And I don't agree with a lot of things that Aaron Rodgers says, but he's had an amazing season. In fact, I think it's hard to find a comparable. 
when you look at everything that's gone on, the amount of um, craziness with the vaccine stuff, the you're fighting with your boss. I mean, this is like they should be like eight and eight, you know, after everything they've gone through. And yet they've been the only team, I think, in pro football that has been really consistent throughout the year. I mean, there's no reason to think that they won't at least have a very good chance of winning. And to me, that speaks to his talent level above all else. Like he kept it together, had an amazing season, should win MVP again. And, you know, I don't have to care about him as a human being if I'm just looking at like, is he a good football player? All right. One bold prediction for the NFL playoffs. For me? Uh, Right now in my bracket that I put in, uh, I have the Patriots beating the Bills and then the Titans. Very interesting. With Derrick Henry? Or lose on Sunday or whatever, but, you know, here we are. (laughs) Well, uh, Greg, I really appreciate you joining us. We definitely would love to get you on again. Your story is amazing, and and just who you are as a person and what you've done so far in life. And by the way, you're not that old. I'm 39. I'm going to be 40, so we're probably not far far apart from one another. I started – uh, I started as an executive producer at CBS. I wanted to leave CBS and, and, and start my own thing. I've been working on building uh, my network of the world, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now I want to pitch this show. I think one, our show is as good as any show right now on the market. Uh, we're very funny. We're very stupid. But we love to interview people. And we love to have fun, man. And, and that's what we love to do. And, and, and to, be, to be spontaneous and, and, and just be ourselves is something that a lot of radio networks and radio shows don't have on any market. And that's what makes us a little bit different. So we really, really appreciate you joining us. And we'll definitely get you on again. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. You actually made me miss New York. You know, I've, I've been gone for about seven years now, but, you know, brought back some memories. Well, that, that's good. And and, I, and I'll tell you this right now. Anytime you want to come to New York, you want to stay at a place, you're more than welcome. I got a nice place over here. You can stay and hang out over here. We'll take you to the wineries over here on Long Island. You and your <laughs> wife and your family. It's beautiful over here in the summertime. It really is. Perfect. Absolutely. I might leave the kids, but other than that, all good. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Tell the fans how they can find you and, uh, uh, how they can find your book too. Yeah. I'm a, uh, SI Greg Bishop on Twitter, uh, same on Instagram. And then uh, we have author pages at SI that have all our work. And then uh, talking to goats has its own page, uh, Harper Collins and then um, Amazon, all that kind of stuff. So if anybody wants to pick a book up, that'd be great. I'll send you guys a copy. Just uh, send me out Absolutely, Speedy will definitely, and, and definitely we'll follow you, you follow us. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting you on again. You really are awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. We were just talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Really, really great. One of, one of our best interviews when it comes to a guy that's been around with a lot of these athletes and actually has a story to tell. And I, could, I couldn't imagine how many stories this guy has. When it comes to who Dak Prescott, who would have thought? Yeah, Dak. I like Dak Prescott. Anybody that knows me on this show, I, I've always thought that Dak Prescott's the type of guy that you can go and hang out with him and shoot the you know what with, and and have a good time with. And he he just said Dak Prescott invited him over the house, door dash, and they're playing golf in the backyard and, and having a good time. And it, it to me. Uh, it speaks volumes of who Dak Prescott is. It speaks volumes of some of these athletes. And 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 to me, when you look. And you try to compare and contrast certain people and and certain writers and 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 and, and certain athletes. You don't know what they are or who they are until you really get to know who they are when you're sitting with them and having a conversation. So mm-hmm. I, I think Greg Bishop really 
uh, gave us a thought of what a writer is and what a writer does when he's sitting there and interviewing uh, an athlete or uh, a writer. Mm-hmm. No, definitely a lot of the off-field stories, too, that you definitely would not expect. He really does a great job in terms of all the detail with that. and Some of those great experiences. He was, again, literally an hour ago, we were still right at the beginning of the show, he was texting me about Cooper Cup's parents and the experience he had with that. So it's not even just the... You made a like, new front, Speedy. Yeah, the flashiest names. It's also the guys like Cooper Cup, like you say, Dak Prescott, Jake Cutler, like all these guys that aren't considered... Well, the Cup and Prescott are still playing, but all these guys aren't considered like these legends yet. And they're all they're all getting their like the storylines right away. And we were talking about with the college athletes too they're going to be making their own making their own waves with these kinds of things too and a lot of these a lot of these athletes now are more un, uh, very unique uh it was who was it on the show it was, when we had matt fontana on the show he was yep. talking about miles garrett and how he's a very uh he likes all the dinosaurs the paleontology stuff and mm-hmm. uh, the comic books and he was greg was mentioning a lot of that too they're a lot more a lot more different and unique with everything available Come on, now. we have basketball players that don't believe that we stepped on the moon or the earth is flat okay i mean who doesn't understand where the history of the natural-born world is? I mean, but uh, you ask Kyrie Irving, you know, we're walking on a flat earth, so it doesn't make sense. But that's what they – That's what. They, and these guys are college kids, so uh, who would have thought? But uh, it, it's interesting. And, and when we get all these different writers and these different personalities on the show, you know what it is is that when you get an athlete on the show, yeah, they're great. Former athletes, they'll tell you stories, but – it's really the writers. It's really the people that are behind the scenes are the ones that really give you the better stories because they're around it and they're the ones that are getting the information and putting it on a piece of paper. So I think that, you know, Greg Bishop is probably one of the best, more prestiged writers that we've had on this show. And and for him to join us and, and tell us a little bit about what he's done and who he is and, and really what he's been. He worked for the Jets, which, uh, you know, I'm a Jet fan, so mm-hmm. everybody knows what I feel about the Jets. Um and him telling us a little bit about where, where he is and what he's done, it's fantastic to know that, you know, when you work so hard, you move up. And, and that's what we're trying to do here uh, with, our net, with our show and our network. But this show, I believe, and I told this to Greg, I, I believe this show is as good as any show on the network, uh, on, on any network around the country. And when people start to really get to know who we are and what we do and what makes us tick – I, I can't see anybody not looking at us as, as one of the top dominant radio shows in America. I, I just I, I really believe personality brings out really what the what what a show is all about. And that's what I think. Uh, Carl says JT Daniels gets to play in the par three competition and Stetson gets in the tourney. There you go. Ben says the ladies love my hairy toes. I'm sure they do. Uh, Carl says I was hoping for the owner to say season ticket uh, season ticket holders, make sure you renew right after he stated that he was the inestimable point in the ownership of the Giants. Uh, in Ty- is Tyler not here because he is interviewing for an Uber each driver Probably. position for GM for the Giants? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Battle of Long Island High School Judge versus Gase. <laughs> Battle of the Expressway. Uh, the Beef says, is he the most realist person you met, or down to earth, I should say? And uh, Carl says, Jay Cutler a legend. He was, yet yeah, he was trash. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, Dak Prescott, he was, it's Beef's probably talking about. And, and Beef, if you listen to the whole interview, you would hear that he was pretty much the more de- most down-to-earth person he's ever met. That when he hung out with him, it was like he's one of those type of people that you can go and hang out and drink a beer with and not even realize that it's Dak Prescott you're hanging out with and having a good time with. Mm-hmm. So 
That's what he pretty much said. So Now the real question, has Tony Romo played on his golf course? I don't know, but uh, I, I bet you Tony Romo's a much better golfer than he is. <laughs> oh, he has plenty of experience. Don't worry, Dak will get up there with the more playoff appearances and then eventual losses that he'll end up getting. Well, hold on one second. The Beef believes that they're going to win three in a row. So. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say this. In... in who you are and what you are as a person, like Carl's a teacher, and Ben, you know you're 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 creating apparel, and and Beave, you're uh, you're a deli manager, but you 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 do very well for yourself. When you love what you do, and even if you don't love what you do, but you're good at what you do, and you're the best that you possibly can. Everybody should understand that the hard work that you put into that and the the dedication that you put into it, hopefully, eventually will come to that position where you can be successful on the way you want to be, not only for your family, but for yourselves. So uh, I, I say that when, I, when we talk to guys like uh, Greg Bishop, you saw he started with the Jets. It, it's not easy to get a job with a professional football team. And then he moved from the Jets to bigger and better places, and now he's there. Uh, one of 39 senior writers for Sports Illustrated. They write every single – in a magazine, every single week or every single month in a magazine. And uh, he gets to travel and interview some of the best athletes in the world and loves what he does and it loves what he does and gets paid for it. So that by itself – it's dedication and love, and don't give up on what you believe in, and don't give up on what you do. Because if you do, you'll never know what you what you are or what you could be in the future. So, uh, I'm the same way with what I do here. I, I I don't I don't press, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm perfect. Okay, because I'm not, and I I never feel that I am. But what I do is I give I, when I put when I go out there, mad, sick, hurt. I come out here and I put the best show I possibly could put together for all the people that listen and watch us every single day. So I want everybody to know that. I, I might not be in the best mood. I might want to jump off a cliff sometimes. But I'm here and I make sure that I do the best that I possibly can because I want everybody to be entertained and realize that what we do every single day is not only for ourselves. It's for the people that enjoy listening to us and laughing at us and just think that we're a bunch of idiots. So there you go. Um, by the way, I'd like to thank Matt Hicks for joining us. Uh, he was awesome. And then Greg Bishop, two guys from Sports Illustrated uh, that took their time out to hang out with us and interview and have a good time with us. So, uh, by the way, Carl says, next surgery and Errol is back within days. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Next surgery. And then I had hip surgery right. this year. And I made sure, no matter what my doctor told me, no matter what my uh, – <laughs> My uh, my lawyer told me that um, I I'm gonna you know I'm gonna come and do a show I, I you know I'm and I, I enjoy doing what I do I love what I do and I, I want I want people to see that and and understand that you know I'm dedicated to what I do because I love it and I, and that's that's it and if you love something and you believe in what you're doing and you believe in who you are you should absolutely. Put all your ba- eggs in one basket. Don't listen to anybody say that. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Because if you don't put all your eggs in one basket, you'll never find out where that basket is going to take you. So just remember that. And I, I said that to Speedy a long time ago, and I'll say that to anybody else. Anybody want to interview me? And I've interviewed plenty of times when people wanted me to get on their show. Dedication and love for what you do is where it takes you in the future. So Yes, Carl, dedication. Dedication. And Speedy's one of the most dedicated people I've ever met in my life. And that's why Speedy works with me. That's why I brought Speedy on to work with me when, uh, you know, a lot, you know, Mikey C, and Mikey C will agree to this. 
uh, he didn't he didn't think that he fit with you know with the network. And I I I took Speedy on because I thought I could work with him, and I I think I thought that you know bringing him on with somebody that's a little bit more. Uh, you know, in the business and understands the business a little bit better and a little bit older, where Speedy will learn how to speak and and, and kind of flow and, and become the player, the, become the player, become the analyst and radio show host that he is. Uh, he's a sensational radio show host, and I believe Speedy by himself will be a star in the future. Not only, not just with me, by himself. I, I think that. He, he's got all the ability in the world to go where he wants to go in this business. And there's no question that I believe that. What did Carl, Carl say? Carl says, Errol and I have had some great conversations on yes. this topic. We both made each other better for it. Absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I always want I, – I, listen, I argue with people. People sometimes think that I'm mad at them when I get off the show. I'm not. I, I love when people attack me and try to find something uh, like, uh, like a hole in my, my – my, Jumper suit or whatever the heck you want to say of my of my aluminum foil on my body, okay? Because I'm not going to put any metal on my body. I'll put aluminum foil. But I, I honestly, I I love like guys like Jeff, like Carr, like all the people that you know. They know so much about their sport, know so much about their team. When I say something wrong or maybe they disagree with me, to attack what I say. Because you know what it is? This is sports radio. It's like hanging out and talking with your buddies. But you, my uncle sat here, okay? He thought he could sit here and he created a crypto. He created like a – he's, you know, he's, he's a software developer. He's created softwares, okay? And he sat here for a whole show and he told me after the show, I don't know how you do a three-hour show every day. Or every other day, because he said, I couldn't do it. How could you sit in front of a mic and look at yourself through a computer and talk to somebody across for three hours and have a conversation like you're by yourself? He says it, it's not only hard to do, it's it's physically almost impossible. And, he, and people don't realize it's not as easy as it looks. You could sit there and you could talk and say whatever you want. But when you're you're in front of the you're in front of everybody and you're trying to entertain people, it's not easy. And this is who I am. Anything crazy, stupid things that come out of my mouth, I this is who I am. I, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Honestly, anybody in the world that listens to me from Chicago to Middle East or France, which we have had on the show. So basically all every country in the world besides Ireland. Uh, Ireland, they, they told me if I ever step foot on their country soil, they're going to bury me six feet under. So good for them. Uh, yes, Carl. Dogs lick Speedy's ass and he's in the next show. Absolutely. Yes. No, literally that day I was going to my college radio show. And you probably licked my ass about an hour before. Oh, look at that. Did you, did you tell anybody on your college radio show? No, friends? thank God. Why? I mean, there was, probably, I I, there was probably nobody listening to the college radio show. So would, would it have mattered if you talked about somebody licking your ass? No, they weren't like you. Well, Let's put it that way. What do you mean they weren't like me? What are you, what are you talking they, about? They, 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 didn't Boring? Go in, they didn't go into the, those, uh, those areas. Let's those areas to what? Licking somebody's ass? I mean, like, seriously. Yes. I mean, it, it's normal. I mean, this is the world we live in. I mean... Yes, where dogs like to I, do, do, listen, do I, things like that. I'm not the one – first of all, I'm not the one who had my dog stick stick his nose in my ass, okay? All right? You, you're the one that actually told us that your dog actually opened up the door with his – his mouth or his his, his paw, head probably his yeah. paws, somebody, and you're you're undressing, and he puts his head in your ass. I mean, I'm not the one who told you to say that. You t- you said that. 
So no, but you were probably driving it on with something else. Well, I drive a lot of things on. That's what I. I'll never willingly like start any of that. Well, I mean, Jeff wouldn't willingly uh, talk nice about Tyler, but he does it anyways. Well, he doesn't really do that, but anyway, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He can't stand. (laughs) He can't stand Tyler. But uh, it's so funny when Jeff is on the show and and Jeff calls the show and Tyler sits there. If you notice, Tyler gets really quiet. When Jeff comes on, he's very quiet because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to say something that kind of burns his bridges even further with Jeff. So I think it's really, really funny. And and uh, for not for nothing, my girlfriend she she tells me all the time that you guys are horrible to Tyler. <laughs> so I have fun with Tyler. By the way, anybody that thinks I don't like Tyler, it's not true. But I have fun with him because there are things that come out of his mouth that don't make sense. And and sometimes I wonder if he knows what he's talking about. Carl says Tyler dials of Uber Eats when Jeff jumps on. Probably does. I, I mean, I, would, I, I will say this. Tyler sometimes gets up. If you guys notice, if he's not going to the bathroom, he's going to grab oh, a yes, snack. Oh, his, uh, yes, his friendlies, his friendlies ice cream. Yes, he's going to grab a snack, uh, by the way. And uh, he had and, – and last week, the reason why he left for almost – you know, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, he, like, just came on when uh, Jason Darienzo was coming on, like, right at the beginning of the interview, then he just walks in. <laughs> he he had Friendly's ice cream, and he had to really go. But the the bad thing is, the reason why I got up to help him is because at the point of no return, I didn't go out and get toilet paper. So I had to find oh. something for, so we could wipe his ass with it. <laughs> So there you go. I mean, that, that's the truth. Uh, if you guys really want to know, I got all. Anyways, uh, let's get into. <laughs> oh, nothing friendly. What did he write over here? Nothing friendly about the ice cream for him. Then he asked the worst questions he has ever asked. <laughs> Maybe we should have asked what he put on that ice cream. Uh, in an interview, threw him off the limited his limited game. That's true. <laughs> well, Tyler has these. You know, Tyler always you know throws curveballs with the interview questions that he asks. So uh, it throws me off too. If I was if he was interviewing me, I'd be like, uh, why would you ask a stupid question like that? But I guess I'm going to have to answer. Or he'll trigger, <laughs> or he'll trigger you to start bickering in the middle of the question because they'll bring up Aaron Boone or Steph oh, Curry God. or something like that, oh, or God. something you two disagree on massively. No, because he brings it up in a stupid kind of way and in 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 a stupid you know position when we're not even talking about it. He just wants to bring it up because he knows it's going to piss me off. That's why he does it. Uh, let, let's be honest about Tyler, okay? <laughs> Thief goes, Tyler knows nothing. Uh, Carl says, Tyler asking about 2024 prospects was oh, shocking. That, oh, by, by the way, when he did that, I, you know, after the show, and for anybody, I, I'll tell you what we – you guys don't really get your chance to see what happens after the show when we're sitting here and we're talking about either the next show or just flipping the you-know-what uh, after the show. It, it, Speedy will tell you. It, it's it's must hear and must see on some of the things I say to him. And Tyler sits there. If he's not trying to rush out of here because he's tired or he's got to go home or he's got to go to White Castle to get himself a burger or something like that, um, you know, Tyler, uh, you know, me and Tyler could go. We go at it, you know. But uh, uh, Tyler's a good kid. He really is. He just uh, sometimes uh, is lost in the shuffle because of some of the things that he says. But. I, I, what I think, what anybody that knows Tyler, 
What makes Tyler so intriguing and interesting is really the fact that he is the enemy. He is, he is the person that people want to pick on. And he takes it really, really well. So when, when, when you see somebody like that, it, he's, he's not soft. He's got hard skin. And I respect a person like that because in this business, if you think that you're going to you're, you're go in front of millions and millions of people and they're not, gonna, they're, they're not always going to like you or they're going to hate you most of the time, you have to understand that you have to, you have to understand that people aren't going to like you. So it, it, to me, I think that I, that's one of Tyler's strengths. But Carl says, like weapons hot after our dark, do loud mouths uncut. Oh, my God. You guys have no idea what goes on. You have no idea. I, it, some days, sometimes it gets bad. You know, it, it is funny. We should actually record some of the things that happen after the show. You guys will probably laugh. Some of the, the, the crazy things that we talk about, some of the crazy things I talk about, okay? Uh, I, I try to post it sometimes on TikTok. Uh, I, ha- I haven't posted up anything new lately, but uh, it's really all speedy. It's it's really funny. Okay, so <laughs> Beef says he hugs people in bars. He does. He does. I, I don't understand that either. He hugs uh, you know, complete strangers. I mean, like seriously, uh, he's got a horn for a mouth, and that's a, the, he's perfect for this show. The show's called the Sports Loudmouth. Uh, you know, we should have a show called the Bar Loudmouth because that's who he is. I mean, he was screaming. My friend Eric. You guys don't know my friend. Oh, Eric. that that would be a dynamics too. Well, well, they were both there. It was me, Beef, Tyler, and Eric. Okay, what? damn. Yes, it was all four of us sitting at a bar. Uh, Tyler, I didn't even know was going there. Okay, and and for an hour listening to these two guys, Eric Martini and Tyler Harrison. Agreeing to everything while the beef is sitting there laughing and saying whatever he's saying, and me just sitting there, just like, and then the people looking at me and they think I'm hilarious. I'm cracking on all of them. I'm cracking on Eric. I'm cracking on Tyler. I'm cracking on the beef. Well, Eric Martini and Tyler are the Steph Curry alliance. Oh my God! You want to talk about jumping off a bridge? Listening to these two guys talk. I mean, like seriously. I seriously after I really want to just hang a noose on a on a tree and just hang myself. Even our uh, even our Warriors guest a couple of weeks ago, oh, uh, Fong. He wasn't even that like he wasn't even that like pushing Steph Curry as much no. as uh, Eric does. No, they, well, Eric Eric hates Steph Curry, but for some reason, my friend Nate is like some in fact infatuation with him. And everybody here in New York has an infatuation with him. What does he say over here? Uh, Stuck says Steph Curry for MVP. Uh, of course. Carl says Errol would get on air with Mikey C, then depending on who was less frustrated, mm. you could banter with them. Probably. I, I, I would say that. I mean, Mikey C and me, we, we had something special. Uh, when we did a show together, uh, Mikey would just sit there, and if everybody remembers, he, he would just find a way to get under my skin. And when he did... It would be three hours of just craziness back and forth. Uh, he's a Celtic fan. I'm a Knicks fan. Uh, we'd go back and forth with you know different sports and different things. And Mikey, he didn't say much, but when he did say something, he knew how to get under my skin, and that's what what made me and Mikey so special as a radio show. For almost four years, we did a show together, and. Uh, and we had a lot of fans. A lot of people loved us. Disney wanted to sit down and talk to us years ago and, and possibly br- before they bought ESPN, Disney was interested in what we were doing. And uh, Mikey C was a funny dude. He's still a funny dude. I still talk to Mikey. Uh, he's still doing his thing. Uh, but, 
you know, me and Mike kind of lost, uh, you know, lost our balance for a little while. We stopped talking, but we're we're back together. We do talk, you know, here and there. And uh, Mikey C is a good friend, and uh, I do miss Mikey. I do miss, but I love working with Speedy. I really do. And and Speedy is, uh, you know, he's really fit and really really good working with me, and uh, has brought out a different uh, style of personality in me than Mikey C did. And and I, I think that's. You know, when you when you have a good relationship with the person that you work with, uh, it makes your job a lot easier. And and I I feel like, you know, with Mikey, he kind of brought a different person in me, and now Speedy does the same. And Tyler just brings me to, <laughs> to be pissed off, you know. But I I I I love doing what I do, and 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 anybody that doesn't see that in and what I do, um, then you really don't know who I am, and you don't realize that I I have a passion for what I do. And, and and you guys, anything that you do, you, you have families, you have your love for everything that you do. Don't quit on anything you do because you, somebody told you that you can't do it. Carl yeah. says, old school Periscope, off air was solid, mm-hmm. especially when they got frustrated. Mikey would hop on a secondary feed yeah. and talk trash to comments. Yeah. And Snoke says, I wish Speedy's dog was sitting in the Tyler chair as a guest. That would be a good idea. He wouldn't sit there very long, Snoke. No, he'd be licking Speedy's ass. That's what he'd be doing. Well, I, I mean, he's smelling it. Well, your, your pants on. You don't wear any underwear. Yes, you, I do. No, so you're wearing underwear today for the I first am. time. I am. Oh, so what kind of underwear? Did you get new underwear for I the did. holidays? I did. Well, what kind of underwear? Boxer briefs? Box yeah, boxer briefs. Boxer briefs? Uh, but they're, but they're, not as, they're not as loose as the old ones. So. Oh, so you like it loose? No, no, no. I said they're not as loose. Oh, so you don't like it loose? Yeah, that's kind of in between. Oh, so, so ladies and gentlemen, if you want to buy Speedy some underwear, make sure they're, they're not loose. Make sure they're tight around those legs of his because, you know, we don't know what, uh, you know, is under the curtains, if you know now, what I mean. Now, going back to Carl's comment. Carl, are you, are you implying that Mikey C. had a burner account? <laughs> I wouldn't say he had a burner account. What Mikey did, okay, for everybody that doesn't know or hasn't listened to us in the past, Mikey, we'd go to break, okay? And what Mikey would do was he would pull out, we had iPads. So we didn't do, it wasn't as, uh, you know, new technology stands for. We kind of made our technology. And what Mikey would do is he would pull out the, um, the, the, um. Tablet, The yeah. The, I, the yeah. I, what do they call it? The IP or the IQ. And, and Mikey would just talk to everybody just talking crap. About me, and then he would go back in from the, the, and everybody would go to my side and say, "Did you hear what Mikey said?" And then he'd just start, just start shit. You know, that's what Mikey would do. So Carl said, "No, he had his own secondary feed." Yes, he did. That was his secondary feed. Well, unless he was going on his phone, just being a dick. But that, that's Mikey. You know, if, if you know him. Uh, but uh, you know, I miss Mike. And, and when Mike does come in, and, and he has come on a show in the past, and I'm going to try to get him on the show very, very soon uh, to. Uh, because uh, he's, you know, he's been craving and, and beating at the bit. But I, I would love to get him on with Tyler, okay? Because these two, I, I think they, I, I think it'd be World War Three, you know, with these two guys here. I mean, sitting here being the referee, believe it or not. Because Mikey, Mikey just doesn't. Mikey don't really listen to sports anymore because sports media he thinks is terrible. It's horrible right now in the industry. Um, Carl says, no, not phone. Sorry, didn't mean to say I, he was being sneaky with it. It wasn't at A-L-L-M, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeff says, anybody better than Tyler. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, let's get into the Joe Judge thing uh, because it seems like it's a story. Um, and, and, and to me, here in New York, it, it really isn't much of a story because we – 
we all knew this was going to happen. There was no way, and, and Jeff said it best the other day. Jeff said it best. There is no GM that's going to come in, a, a viable top-end GM that's going to come in in position and have to take on a coach. Nobody, okay? I When you... You think, uh, what, what is it? I'm coming in for <laughs> Just that. responding to the beef with swear words. Uh, okay. But when you, when you think of Joe Judge, there was a lot of things that really stood out to me about Joe Judge this year from, from last year. A lot of Giant fans were so excited about Joe Judge and the growth of the Giants in their defense was the top five ranking at the end of the season. And everybody was like, oh, my God, this guy Ramsey is going to be a defensive guru. And, and Joe Judge is maybe, he's, he's the next Bill Belichick. Well, this year, it completely backfired at the Giant fans. Now, I remember in the middle of the season, the Giant fans said, get rid of him. He's done. And, and this is the problem. This is the problem when it comes to fans. When fans fall in love with somebody and fans fall in love with a coach or a player, they seem to give up on a player. For instance, Julius Randle. Julius Randle last year, the fans were screaming MVP, MVP. All of a sudden, they were booing him because of the way they were playing the other day, and he gives them thumbs down, which he pretty much told everybody to go F off. You know, so, and he doesn't even care what the fans say. Figure that one out when he says, I love New York last year, and I love the fans. I wouldn't want to play anywhere else. <laughs> so it, it, it could backfire at you. And with Joe Judge, I think it backfired at the Giant fans. I, I really do believe that because not saying that Joe Judge can't be a good coach, not saying that Joe Judge's coaching staff was good because they weren't, but I just think the Giants have lost their way. They haven't found their way since Tom Coughlin has left, since they decided to walk away and give the job to Ben McAdoo. Now, again, the Giants have had three coaches in, in the last six years. And when you look at that and you look at the position that the Giants are in and you say, hey, Carl sent me something yesterday uh, stating that the Jets are the Jets have the longest uh, longest ride playoff drought. Yeah. Playoff drought. Uh, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2010. And I said, I'm not surprised. But if you really look at where the Giants are compared to the Jets, would you rather be a Jet fan or a Giant fan? And, and, and that's not even an argument. You'd rather be a Jet fan right now. Now, Honestly, the Giants have won four Super Bowls, so Giant fans shouldn't complain about anything. Jet fans haven't seen a Super Bowl in 50 years, 51 now. So to me, if you're a Giant fan, you shouldn't cry or bicker, but you knew what was going to happen when Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin was going to be done. Now, what the Giants do this offseason is really going to set the Giants in position moving forward to possibly be back to that contender in the NFC East. Now, my opinion, Brian Flores is sitting there right now. Now, I don't think Brian Flores is going to look at the Giants as his first pick to go there, no. even though Bill Belichick loves the Giants organization. And if Bill Belichick had any thought to go anywhere else besides the Patriots, it would be the Giants. So if he wanted to go to the Giants, I'm sure Bill Belichick will give him the thumbs up, unlike the Jets. <laughs> now, I, I don't know where the Giants are looking, and I don't know what the Giants are going to plan to do at that GM position. But uh, who's the guy that I told you about? Not um, you said Kevin Abrams last week. Not Abrams. The the other the the story that I wrote. Oh, uh, Lewis Riddick. Lewis Riddick is the guy. If the Giants are going to make a move, and they're going to bring in a guy that understands the game of football, and is a giant guy. 
He he loves the Giants organization, and he understands the mix of where the Giants are going to go and what the Giants are going to be in the future. If he gets into you know he gets into position as the GM, well then honestly, you hire him. You hire the guy that you believe will fit the culture moving forward, whatever the culture is, because I don't even know if the Giants know what their culture is, Speedy. Yeah, I, that's the problem with the Giants. They ha- they're trying to be something of the past, and teams like the Giants, like the Miami Dolphins, who, who was the dumb team that fired Brian Flores, and the Steelers can now kind of getting in that mold. We've seen Washington. We've seen the Raiders go through stretches of dysfunction like that. They just want to stick to their values, and when their values don't work, sometimes they don't evolve. And now the Giants are unfortunately going into that trap right now where it seems like when Kevin Abrams was rumored as the lead to get the GM job, I'm like, oh, God, another Giants guy, another one in their front office? Like, you just be different. That's why Lewis Riddick is different. Now, is different necessarily going to be a guaranteed good thing? Maybe not. I don't know. Sometimes you swing for the fences and it doesn't work. But at least try something else. And that's what worries me about this kind of search right now. And I think whatever GM they do bring in, I'm hoping it's a, a team that kind of rebuilt their image the way they did. And the there's two assistants, one from the Bills, one from the Chiefs they're also looking at too. Lewis Riddick would be like a, a fresh guy. Somebody that really gets the modern mold of the NFL, because I don't think the Giants are really in that. Uh, yes, Jeff, that would be a nice scenario. Riddick for GM and then Biennemi for coach. That would be a very nice scenario. I would take that in a heartbeat. I don't think Biennemi is going to come to New York. No, I, I feel like he's going to be either the yeah. Vikings coach yeah. or maybe the Broncos go in the vision or something like that. The Jaguars, too. Maybe. Because he he would have gotten the job if uh, Urban Meyer didn't get it, because he was the, he was the yeah, next guy Yeah, he was guy the runner-up at the time. Yeah, he was the next guy in line right. to get the job. And by the way, Robert Sala, I heard that Robert Sala was waiting for them to decide what they were doing with Urban Meyer because Robert Sala was very interested in the Jaguars' job. I'm sure he was very excited, very happy that he took the Jets' job over the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. And he was very close to taking a bunch of other jobs in 2020, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl says, Bill Poley and landing the Bears' search for new GM scares oh, me. God. Yeah, that probably should, Carl, for sure. But uh, actually, Brian Flores has already interviewed with the Bears, so they're at least getting a good start there. But yeah, Flores would definitely be the ideal guy to get a culture going because he got Miami's culture going. They were a full-blown, publicly admitting tanking team. Jim Harbaugh. I remember I said this, Jeff. Put some bets on it. I'm telling you right now, Jim Harbaugh will be announced. Probably he'll be the first coach to be announced as is going to be filling in for a position. Before, before the season is over, you're going to hear Jim Harbaugh be going to Miami. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now. But going back to Flores, I also think he's somebody, too, that doesn't have a like the huge ego. We saw Miami go through many different roster turnovers with coaching staff. Obviously, Patrick Graham going to the Giants as the defensive coordinator. And he doesn't really seem like he's like set in his one ways where he's going to go, all right, I have to go hire a Miami guy. Oh, I have to go hire a New England guy just because it was there. I think he's really open to a lot of new things. And I'm sure with the defense, him and Patrick Graham are going to do some different things and kind of meet in the middle to try to make that kind of thing work. Because Flores did a lot of brilliant things with Miami where they got him fired up. A lot of the players loved him, and even both veteran and younger players, they brought in. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have their reigns of bringing in expatriates and stuff like that. Brian Flores is going to have a job. Yeah, One of these jobs are going to be filled in for Brian Flores. And the the fact that I heard Brian Flores got fired by the Miami Dolphins the way they did, I I was shocked. 
I was shocked when he got fired. He won seven games in a row, then lost the game, then won the final game of right. the season. He was a borderline playoff team. There have been a borderline playoff team every single year. He's been there how long? Two years? Three years. Three years. The first year they were full blown tanking. They were they finished five and eleven. Hung tough with some good teams. Like I said earlier in the show when we had Matt on the show, this year I they, think they won ten. That last year they won ten, but even the year they won five and they were full blown tanking. They beat the Colts to keep them out of the playoffs. At, at the time, I think they were six and four. They beat the Patriots the last week of the season, which stopped them from getting a bye. And they hung tough with a lot of other good teams. Then the next year, they almost make the playoffs. They were 10 and six. They lost on a tiebreaker, and Indianapolis and Cleveland, or some combination of that, got in. And then this year, they rallied back from being one and seven. They could have just given up on the season. They didn't do that. They rallied back. They were in a playoff spot at the end of week 16. And then, okay, they had a bad loss to the AFC number one seed. The Chiefs got blown out by the Titans. Is everyone saying, oh, watch out, be panic on the Chiefs? They were going to fire him even if they made the playoffs. And it seems that way, and that's not a good look. And the Miami Dolphins might now have the same problem the Giants have where their ownership just is stubborn with their values. And that's something that the Dolphins have been hit with in the 21st century. I mentioned Washington, the Raiders. Now I think the Steelers are kind of getting in that mold too. And the Giants now recently, the last five years, since they fired Coughlin, have been getting in that mold. So I'm hoping that that kind of identity could change where they end up looking for something different, something fresh, something modern. And the GM candidates so far, the two, the Bills and the Chiefs guys, and also Riddick, are all encouraging for me. Again, we'll see on the ego part of it. I, I, if they bring in, the, for example, the Chiefs GM, do they bring in other Chiefs coaches or something like that, or Chiefs uh, past executives, whatever. But still, that is something that would be a fresh start. Uh, J- Carl, I, I will say this. He said Flores battled the front office about tanking. Uh, that pissed off the front office. Plus, Flores was a Herbert guy, and Ross, the GM, was a Tua guy. Right. And, and that might be true, but right. I, I heard that as soon as Jim Harbaugh's name was starting to appear and that he was interested in leaving college football. Uh, that's where everything Ross started saying, you know what? Ross has been going after Jim Harbaugh for the last four or five years. He's been going after Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. And now that Jim Harbaugh's put his name in that, uh, you know, in the, the coaching Rumors, center, yeah. the coaching center, well, that's why, I, that's why uh, Flores lost his job because I believe that Jim Harbaugh is going to be the next coach of the Miami Dolphins. Is it a good idea? I would have kept Brian Flores. I, I really yeah, would have. You should have. Um, but now Brian Flores is going to go wherever he wants. He could go to the Broncos. He can go to the Vikings. He can go to the Giants. He can go wherever he wants to go. And wherever he goes, he understands the game enough. He's a, he's a Bill Belichick disciple that he's going to achieve everything. I, I like Brian Flores. I, I've, to, I've told you, I, I don't like anybody that comes from Bill Belichick's tree because I don't like Bill Belichick. Right. I know, I respect him. I think he's the best coach, greatest coach to ever come out of the NFL, but I don't like him. But Brian Flores, I like him. I, I really do. I speak very highly of him. And I, I think whoever grabs this, scoops this guy up, is going to get themselves a fantastic coach. And you could tell, too, that the Dolphins are still not really evolving with the fact that Brian Flores is doing something new that their organization hasn't seen. Taking young players, making them work, getting these hybrid players to work, and just building a culture. They were content with the fact that they weren't overly talented in year one. They still went 5-11. and 11. They were still pesky, and everyone bought into it. But it seemed like the front office was still trying to do some of their old things, too. And then they have overpaying for players still. All these veteran players that they bring in. And now they revert back to that, just because they want a flashy hire in Jim Harbaugh. Just 
just to get that kind of thing going. Yeah, okay, Jim Harbaugh has been probably itching to get back into the NFL since he was struggling with Michigan as a coach. Mm-hmm. Now they make the playoff and all of a sudden his stock is going to go up, sure. But that doesn't mean you go back on what you're doing. It's understandable if Brian Flores maybe had that one 2020 season where they were in the pandemic year, they went 10-6, and six, then had, I'm not even saying just this year iffy, but maybe the next two years iffy, because I still think it was not all Flores' fault. That team has a talent problem, It was one too. of the best runs we've seen a team have in years. Seven right. wins in a row? When was the last team that won seven games in a row? They were the first team to win seven in a row after losing, losing. seven in a That's row. That's what I'm saying. Right. So you're judging that on that kind of turnaround where most coaches at one and seven probably are just giving up. They're just maybe experimenting with players. Not that Flores doesn't experiment with players. I think he does a good job with that. But I think the bigger problem is, one, the GM has botched a lot of their later draft picks that haven't really worked. With all the draft stock that they got, made the good trades to get it, but they still didn't draft well. And Brian Flores still made a lot of those players good. And two, he created a culture that people liked down there. Now, Miami's always going to get, because of the warm weather, they're always going to get some kind of treatment in terms of players wanting to go there, and that's why we see a lot of agents go there. But still, that doesn't necessarily create winning football games, and they have to prioritize that same thing. And same thing with the Giants. Sometimes they are trying to stick to their ways of trying to bring in Giants values, and these things worked with Coughlin because Coughlin was phenomenal, but with these other coaches, these other coaches, the inexperienced guys, they're trying to bring that kind of thing there, just like the Belichick coaching tree, and they try to be something that they're not, and it doesn't work. And and, and also, you can't compare and contrast a, a Belichick tree or even Bill Belichick, because there aren't any Bill Belichicks out there. You can't compare and contrast somebody to copyright, say, you know what, I want a Bill Belichick. There's only one Bill Belichick, but... Uh, when you look at what Brian Flores has done with the uh, the Miami Dolphins and really with the, the, the positions that are opening right now in, in the NFL, and there's quite a few. I mean, Chicago's open. The Broncos are open. Jacksonville is open. Uh, who else is the open? Vikings. The Vikings are open. What else? There, there, is there any more teams? I think that's all the ones right now. Brian Flores is going to have his pick on wherever he wants to go besides Miami. And, and is is – is the Bears the, the best team right now going into next year? Probably not. It, it's probably Talent-wise, it's probably the Vikings. It's, a lot of people say the Vikings. I still think the Broncos are It could a be good the team. Broncos. I don't think they're far behind either. I, I think the Broncos are a good team. You, you, Brian Flores over there. Maybe, you know, with Brian Flores, you have Aaron Rodgers tailing right behind you. Mm-hmm. And it, instead of coaching Tua, you know, next year again, you get to co- coach arguably the greatest Oh, the Raiders too. You forgot about the Raiders too. Oh, they 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 verified they're they're not their coaches and staying. I, I I didn't hear that. Okay. No, I I, I I speed. First of all, we don't know if what the coach coach is going to do because they're still in the playoffs. Right. That's why I, I that's why I didn't think they would make an announcement like that as it is. But yeah, I guess he, they're still on the fence technically. If Aaron Rodgers goes, could you imagine Brian Flores goes over there and then you get Aaron Rodgers and you get to coach Aaron Rodgers? Right. So. Uh, by the way, Speedy will say Broncos with panties on his head. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I got to do that. You're right, yes, Carl. That's right. You're, right. You're right, Carl. That's right. You got to wear panties. I do, have to, I do have to do that. Yep. That he's got to wear for the show. He's got to wear panties on his head. So we got to get panties for him. Yes. Don't worry. At least I t- at least I took their uh, AFC West <laughs> counterparts down with me. Where are the Chargers in the playoffs? Well, I, I, the, and by the way, everybody was talking about their coach in uh, what, Staley. Staley who. <laughs> Who uh, people thought, oh, this guy's going to be the next up and coming big time superstar coach. Uh, the, at the beginning of the season, they were playing great football, and all of a sudden fell off. And, and as good as Justin Herbert looks in certain games, he falls and he disappears in the big games. He really does. And as good, and, and Justin Herbert, 
is is a great young. But when he played Joe Burrows, who won? Joe Burrows. No, the Chargers won that game. No, but I, I'm talking about when it comes to – I'm not talking about the win. I'm, I'm talking about who played oh, better. Oh, who outplayed him, yeah. Yes, okay. who pl- outplayed the other player. And it, Joe Burrows outplayed J- Justin Herbert. And you look at the young quarterbacks that played against Justin Herbert. He has been outplayed. He's, he's been, these younger quarterbacks have outplayed Justin Herbert in the game. So, again, I like Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert's a sensational player. Uh, but if he can't win the big game, he's never going to be the quarterback that he thinks he's going to be. Herbert ain't <laughs> no Stetson, no, Stetson Bennett. No, no question. He's not Stetson Bennett. I mean, Herbert, I think Herbert's a star. The question is, are, do they have the right pieces around him and the right coaching around him where he is going to succeed to the top level that he believe they believe he's going to be? I don't know if they are. Now, I don't know if they, he will be over there. Now, talent-wise, the Chargers are still very good. The question is, with all this thing, do they do the little things right? And it seems like a lot of the times they don't, and a lot of the times they either get too content in one way or they'll have these random dud games. You lost to the Texans. That could say a lot about the the coaching the the game planning whatever you want to say about the the team because it's a very good team it, I think it's a top ten roster it just again they they do a lot of weird things that's why it seems like they're never consistently good even with a lot of talented teams uh, when we interviewed Sean Merriman he was mentioning a lot of the <laughs> players did not like their GM they did not like their ownership because of the way they operate and that seems to still be a constant issue that they have now I like their GM now I think he's very good but in terms of the ownership in terms of the being kind of cheap with players it's been a problem for them and they, on the field it seems like there are certain games where they're just so streaky the way they are and they find weird ways to lose they find weird ways to game plan whatever and now again you have Brandon Staley with the playing for the tie do they go for the win type thing and there's that whole controversy now that is very interesting to they could have gotten the playoffs with a tie too so it's very weird and, and by the way Fagio Fangio is available and um the question is, uh, even with the Jets this offseason, do they keep their defensive coordinator? Do they go after a Fangio or somebody like that that can help out a guy like Robert Sala, where Robert Sala is not helping out on the defensive side? He has Fangio running the defense. They're, Fangio is going to be a defensive coordinator that's going to be highly profiled oh, yeah. and, and stand out where, you, you know, if he goes wherever, he, he goes to Baltimore. He goes, by the way, I don't know what's going on with Baltimore, but this offseason – Baltimore is going to have to decide what they're doing at the quarterback position. Because I think Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback. I really do. I think the league has passed him by. I think the, the league understands how he plays now. They know how to stop him. They know how to contain him. They make him, if, if he beats you with your legs and he doesn't beat you with his arm, you're going to win 90% of the time. And I think teams are starting to figure that out again about, about him. So, uh I and they built that offense around him, and even right. the wide receivers that they brought in, none of them really have turned out to be anything. Mm. Now I I know Baltimore got hit by the by by injuries and COVID. So did the Jets. What does that tell you? Okay, the Jets had more injuries and more COVID situations than any team in football. They lost their best tackle in the first game of the season. Okay, uh, they lost their best pass rusher before the season started. Okay, so. I don't want to hear that from Baltimore, and I know, Carl, you're not a Baltimore fan, but I don't want to hear that from Baltimore fans because you want to know something? There were many other teams that have dealt with a lot worse things in, in early in the season or before the season even started and were really you know, trying to drive up the gut to try to get, the, get somewhere. Baltimore got hit hard by teams being 
better than them. And I, I yeah, agree and that, streak though. reliant too, because they were eight and three at one point, and then they got overconfident in their ways. And the then quarterback they, play, and then the, it was the a losing streak. Play. And it's weird because a lot of the quarterback play when Lamar Jackson was out was better than expected too. So some t- something with them just I guess losing confidence. Remember they lost all their three corners, they lost two tackles, they lost a lot of things. And the confidence I think at one point just got shot, where it seemed like even though they were hanging tough, they were losing a lot of those tight games. Maybe it was the Bengals the way they blew them out. Maybe that was the end for them. But then they even hung tough with the Rams, too. So I, I, I don't know what to really think about that. Uh, Carl also mentions that Leslie Frazier is apparently in the lead for the Bears spot, who I actually don't think was that bad of a head coach. I just don't know if it's the right hire for them it's right now. It's not the right hire. I, I, think the Bear, I think the Bears, like the, like I was saying with the Giants, they kind of need something fresh. The same Leslie Sl- Frazier that was with the Buffalo Bills? That same Leslie? Yeah, their uh, defensive coordinator right yeah. now, who was also head coach with the Vikings in wow. from 2009 to 2012. After you don't want him. I didn't, again, I Carl, don't think he was a bad head coach. I just don't think it was really the right time. It's not really the right time. <laughs> Jeff says Cowboys winning the ship. Now, I will say this, Carl, about that kind of thing, though. It'll be interesting to see if defensive defensive coaches will start to make a little bit of a comeback because of all the other failed offensive coaches that really have come down, like Matt Nagy, just the fall from grace he had. He won coach of the year his first year, and then all of a sudden he's trying to be an egomaniac and so stubborn he can't manage Justin Fields. Mm. So I'm curious to see if that kind of thing will make a trend because we we were just talking about Brandon Staley. Yeah, you could question his weird aggressiveness of going for it on fourth He was down. up for coach of the year early in the season. <laughs> yeah, you could have questioned the weird things. Everyone's questioning the timeout. I'm more worried about him going for it fourth down in his own territory and his, inside his own 30. But besides the point, he still had a good season as a whole as a coach. And he's a defensive guy. Somebody like Brian Flores, who should have never been fired. Even Sean McDermott with the Bills, a defensive coach that has really elevated it. There, you're going to have your McVeighs and your Shanahans and guys like that that work offensively. But we're seeing a kind of a trend where more of the defensive coaches are being just as successful, even though they're not as popular to interview now. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of thing makes a comeback. And also, we can't predict on... Who's going to get what job or anything like that? But I'm going to tell you this right now. Take it to the bank. If you guys bet, if you guys have whatever, DraftKings, if you could bet on this, Jim Harbaugh will be the new coach of the Miami Dolphins. I'm telling you right now, mark my words, take it to the bank. I promise you, he will. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll admit I'm wrong. But no, I'm but that would be a classic Miami Dolphins hire. I'm telling so you right surprised. now, it doesn't make any sense on why they fired Brian Flores unless mm-hmm. this guy, Jim Harbaugh's name, has been tailing behind Ross and saying, take me, pick me, you know, because that that's what I think is happening. And, and I, Ross I, is a Michigan alum, so and, it wouldn't surprise me. And, and there's so many stories, and there's so many stories coming out uh, over there in Michigan that he is willing – uh, willing to come back to, you know, coach in the NFL now. So if that's the case. Yeah, watch how much your ego will get eaten up alive, Mr. Ross. Well, Brian Flores is probably happy that he's out of there. He didn't get oh, the he should be. You want to go, you want to coach that dysfunctional mess? He, does, he didn't get the quarterback that he wanted, and, and he really dealt with a lot of crap all season long. Look at the players. They lost so many defensive players at the end of this, this last past season when they were 10-6. and six. When uh, they they were a borderline playoff team, why would you get rid of Van Noy? He goes back to the Patriots, has a sensational year. You, you, you let all these players go when you had one of the best defenses in the league, and then you fell off this year defensively. You fell off offensively this year, even with Tua. Uh, I mean, it made no sense. And by the way, you had Ryan Fitzpatrick as your backup quarterback slash starting quarterback. Why would you get rid of him when he had a good year the year before that? 
None of it makes sense. None of it. And that has a lot to do with Ross and the function over there in that organization. Care about winning football games, not your ego. It is a problem of you, these old school owners that just think that their money and their ego matters more. And as far as the, the, the Chicago Bears, listen, I, I think Chicago is set up in a very good position. Uh, they fought a lot of injuries this year, especially defensively. Uh, I think they're – what's his name again? Is Robinson is probably on his way out. I do not believe they're going to be able to re-sign him uh, next season. I, I I do believe they'll draft a wide receiver at one point or another in this year's draft. Uh, Williams, the Alabama Crimson Tide wide receiver, will be in the draft this year. I don't know if he falls out of the first round because of his ACL tear. Probably later in the first round. But – there are, there are some talented wide receivers in this. London, we talked about. Yeah. There are some guys out there that uh, they can absolutely go after. But Robinson's going to be go, you know, feasting on free agency. I do not think they're going to franchise him again. No. Um, and they're going to rebuild. Uh, and, and, and if you're a Chicago Bears fan, if you have a chance to maybe move, what's his name again? The, the linebacker, I'm sorry. Mack. Uh, Khalil Mack um, uh, for, uh, you know, for a draft pick. I would do that. I would start to rebuild. And uh, you still have some good linebackers right now. You, have, you still have some good young defensive players right now on your roster. Uh, if you could get a, you know, a first round, a late first round draft, but I know you gave up a lot for Khalil Mack. It just, I don't know if you're winning with Khalil Mack. So you might as well trade him and try to get as much value as you possibly can for him. Yeah, and also, too, he's now 30 years old, and now he's starting to get a little more injury-prone, too. So they definitely have to explore it, too. I don't know if they want to try to let him play in the season to, to get his value up a little bit, because, again, he missed half the season last year. and still was, teams, teams will still line up. I, I up agree with you. I'm just saying... In terms of the Bears with a new GM trying to maybe get peak value. Are you kidding me? The Jets have two first-round draft picks uh, this year, and maybe they'll trade one, their one next year. They'll trade one first-round draft pick uh, next year if, they, if it came down to getting Khalil Mack as their pass rusher. Right. But again, the Bears, kind of like we were saying with the Giants, I don't think they'll need as much as the Giants, but they still need a lot where they have to make that kind of thing work. So they need all the draft picks they can. And again, a big reason, not that the Mack trade didn't work out for the first year where their defense was the best. It was fantastic. Football, mm. But they still, between those he trades. still is. Yeah. Between, between those trades and just some bad ones they made over the years, they didn't really have a lot of draft stock to work with as a whole. And a lot of the, that was a lot of the big reason Ryan Pace was scrutinized as much as he did, in addition to the, obviously the Trubisky thing, in addition to drafting a lot of these weird picks and making a lot of the bad contracts that they did now. Yeah, they gave up on Mitchell Trubisky, one, two, three, which was wrong. wrong. Wrong, and that has a lot to do with Nagy. And that's why Nagy is gone. Where now? Where Nagy goes? I don't know if he gets another coaching job too in the league. Right. Uh, he's another Adam Gase, so uh, right. a guy that teams are just not. Now, obviously, Andy Reid will probably give him another chance, especially if what's his enemy gets a job in yeah, the offseason. Possibly. Nagy. Nagy's open. Peterson, if he doesn't get a job uh, this offseason, I wouldn't be surprised. That's if true. Peterson, that's another one I forgot about. He's already getting talks with Jacksonville and Chicago too yeah, for head so, coaching jobs. But if Peterson doesn't get a job this offseason, I could see him taking over for. Uh, a guy like Biennemi, because I can't see Biennemi for a third season in a row not getting a job. I mean, and if he doesn't, I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, yeah. th- three years interviewing for 17, 18 jobs, and oh, two times ta- he interviewed for like two or three other jobs uh, each year and still couldn't get that job. I, I, I mean, I, 
I'll be very, very surprised if, if Biennemi doesn't get a job. Carl says, you can win with Mac, couldn't win with Nagy. Mac was on IR Possibly. to protect him. If they were in the hunt, they would have been, he would have been activated. <laughs> Jeff says, Tyler would rather have a big Mac than Khalil Mac. You're probably right. <laughs> and then Errol counting, on, counting one, two, B, one, two, three on Trubisky must have been him counting how many deep balls Trubisky missed in a row every game. <laughs> Listen, you, Carl, I understand you're a Chicago Bears fan and you hate Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky is 23 years old, 24 years old. He is a kid. You don't give up on a kid that you traded up for and give up all that draft stock. You don't give up on somebody like that. And then you draft Justin Fields. Well, hopefully he turns out to be a sensational quarterback. But what are you going to do with him if he doesn't transition into the quarterback in three years? Get rid of him? It doesn't make sense. None of it does. And and Mitchell Trubisky, I don't know what he is, and maybe he isn't anything. But I could say the same about Ryan Tannehill. What's he doing right now in the league? Oh, I'm sorry. He's the number one seed in the AFC, and he has a chance to win a Super Bowl this year. Maybe it's not all because of him, and it, maybe it's not even half because of him. No, it probably is only half because of him. <laughs> but but he's got good players around him that helps him be better and makes him better and makes him a better player. He didn't. He can't hit the deep ball and didn't improve with offensive mind in Nagy. Mm. Okay. Well, maybe they're both bad. Maybe, we'll, we'll maybe, find it, was that just, out. maybe it was just Nagy. How's that sound? Make, well, maybe. Well, again, if Trubisky ever gets a shot to play, that'll be the determining I mean, what did Justin Fields do when he played? Seriously. Yeah, and that, that, I think that was really the thing that, that really drove Nagy's stock down. Because, again, he was how always was, hated by Bears fans. Mitchell Trubisky? Uh, I want to say 27. Is he really? Yeah, he was the 2017 draft. So I and he played he played he only started one year in college but I think he still was on the roster for three for three of it. I want to say 27 off the top of my head. Let me find him. Mitchell Chabitsky is 27. Okay. Yeah. So I yeah, still not old old yet, which means he'll sure. still have yeah, which means he'll still have the mobility. When they factor. got rid of him, he was 25 years old, okay? That's been 2 years. He's been 25. All right? Yeah, so, so again, you, you also just need the right opportunity. That's Jeff, how... okay, he's not 23. He's tw- he was 25 when they got rid of him. He's still a kid, okay? 25 is a kid as a quarterback. In the... 27 is a kid as a quarterback in the league. Carl says, calm down on field. He can throw the deep ball. He will improve his mid-game. Yeah, and again, the right type of whether it's the head coach or the offensive coordinator, that'll will be the biggest key for Fields' development too. Now it'll be interesting to see which direction they'll take with that because there's always not not that there's any bigger names like they were last year, but there's always going to be the college coordinators, the college coaches that are going to get their step up in the NFL as well. Now they weren't rumored as much as guys in 2021. Uh, and even in the past with guys like Rule and Kingsbury and guys like that, but maybe somebody as a coordinator to be taking on, like like Joe Brady was after he went with LSU, could be an interesting factor for somebody like the Bears that even if they don't take on him as a head coach, as a coordinator to help out fields, a more modern offense, because the Bears have really lacked that for a while, too. Well, again, it doesn't, to me, you don't give up on a quarterback that's young. Okay, you just don't. And, and, and all the Chicago fans could say he can't hit the long ball. That's fine. Uh, that's great. I, I also saw him throw long throws, and I remember when they should have won that playoff game that they did the first year where Mitchell Trubisky had a sensational game. He really did. In the second half, he was making every throw. By the way, nobody could catch the ball, and their field goal kicker couldn't kick a ball. So you're going to blame Mitchell Trubisky on that? And that team had a chance to win the Super Bowl that year. I really did believe they had a chance. I remember that. Yes. I really thought that if they got out of that – that first game, I get who, who did they play? They played the Vikings. Eagles. Oh, they played the Eagles. Eagles, which was a tough matchup for them because the the Eagles fronts are, uh, 
in the trenches Nick were Foles, very good right? that year. Nick Foles was the quarterback, but the, the the Eagles in the trenches were very good that year. They had the best offensive line in football, which I guess obviously didn't stop their pass rush to the Bears, but could contain it. And then their defensive line against what was still a pretty bad Bears offensive line that year. So the, I just actually just the thought Bears should have won that game if the field goal kick went in thirty yards. They win the game, and the Eagles don't win the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Well, no, that was the year after. Well, that, was the, that was the year. That was after. the year after. The that was the year. Who the, won the Super Bowl that year? The Speedy. Patriots. Uh, who would they play? They were against the Rams. That was the Rams. That year. was the Rams. Uh, the bad so call I, that got them in the Super so Bowl. So I say the Bears would have beaten the Rams. Okay? I, I think the Bears could have beaten the Rams too. The question is, would they have beaten the Saints? That's the other problem. Uh, by the way, Jeff is back. Mm. What's going on, Jeff? Buddy, you're on this Mitchell Trubisky hype train kind no, of thing. No, I'm not. Dude, his career is, like, over. It's over. He's going to be 28 to start next year. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. He hasn't been playing. Like, if you're going to see someone improve, you're going to see them play. And I, no NFL team now is going to invest in him when the most they're going to get out of him is, like, five years. Hey, Jeff. Right? Well, Hey, Jeff, let me ask you a question. When the Titans t- t- took a chance, it t- t- took a – uh, I guess a flyer, a flyer on uh, Ryan Tannehill. How old was Ryan Tannehill? Probably 28, 29. Okay, so why can't another team take a take a flyer on a guy like uh, a Mitchell Trubisky? Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, right, hold on. Ryan Tannehill went from starting for one team right into starting for another team. Mitchell Trubisky, no one wanted. At least people saw upside in Tannehill. No one wanted Trubisky. Well, no Tannehill one. wasn't initially the starter that year. He was only brought in as an insurance policy because Mariota was always hurt. He only took over that starting in week six. That doesn't matter. Mitchell Trubisky, nobody wants. No one. No one wanted him. Well, again, how do we know what Mitch Trubisky was when they had a coach like Nagy coaching him? So, and Nagy isn't a good coach. Let's be honest. He's not. Right. It, that That's completely fair. But to say that, like... The, listen, they do this for a living. There's 31 other teams that have scouts and do this thing for a living. And all 31 of them were like, pass. We don't want them. Why did Buffalo right? take like him it, as a backup? Because they had nobody else. Well, it was Trubisky or Matt Barkley, right? <laughs> Isn't that the other backup? Isn't Matt yeah. Barkley there or something? Yeah, he was the, the okay. past two years. Yeah. Right. Listen, Cooper Rush is still a backup, right? <laughs> There's clearly it's clearly a deficit at backup quarterbacks that people just don't care about. Why was Aaron Murray a backup for years? Mm-hmm. Because no one cares. Because Carl, no one cares. Carl says one year, Errol. No, they would have won that game if Trubisky could hit the deep ball. Watch the last three drives. Eddie Jackson out that game was tough, and Bears killed the Rams in the regular season that year. Yeah, I did watch they that did. game. They uh, did. Who do you think got the ball to to get him that field goal kick? That was Mitchell Trubisky. Okay, he's the one who made that throw. He's the one who made that, that the ball down. And and before he got pulled out, when you and I again, uh, I'll say it again. Mitchell Trubisky before his last year, when you compare and contrast his numbers to Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, they weren't far apart from both of them. And you're wrong. And I don't care. I'm not. I'm hyping up Mitchell Trubisky. I'm saying that Mitchell Trubisky never really got a rightful chance to be the quarterback that he, everybody thought he was going to be, or what the Bears thought he was going to be, because they had a crappy coach and nobody over around him to throw to. Then why does no one want him? I don't know. Man. What there were there were there were other there were other uh, teams around the league that needed a quarterback. Why did no one, if he was so good and he had Patrick Mahomes numbers, why did every team that needed a quarterback go, 
Now nah, screw it. We'll go with a rookie. Now, I didn't say he had Patrick Mahomes' numbers. I said if you look at their numbers before his last year, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, his numbers were not too far from both of those quarterbacks. So he was he was right there with them. Neck and why neck didn't with nobody them. want him? Uh, I again, I am not. I am not a scout. I'm not a scout. I'm not going to sit there and say it. But what I did see with Mitch Trubisky is you can win with Mitch. You can. And, that, and that's a crock. That's a crock. You know what? If he was drafted as high as he was, and he played the way he was at the time that he was, the last year he didn't play well. Well, he came off an injury, and then maybe the injury really took over the way he was playing. Carl says, "Errol, don't do that comparison." And no, everybody knew what he was going to be. Well, everybody apparently, but Errol. Apparently, what Errol? I just told you. Let's, Speedy, go look up Mitchell Trubisky's numbers. Not his last year. And go look at the year that the the year before he his career was over with the Chicago. One of these Bears. days, one of and these compare days, you're have to all not, three of them. One of these days, you're going to have to not go and say, "Oh, look at the numbers." One of these days, you're actually going to have to use your eyeballs and look at things. My, my, my how am I supposed to look at my eyeballs? First of all, you like Mitch Trubisky too, don't both? And I know you did because I remember th- you, you were talking about Mitch I Trubisky. Thought Mitchell, I thought Mitchell Trubisky had had a lot of talent and a lot of potential. He got his shot. He was no good. Uh, he got his shot. You know, three years is a great shot. Yeah, right, so great. 2017, his rookie year, he didn't start the whole season. 12 games. He had 21-93 yards, seven touchdowns, seven picks. Completed 59.4% of his passes. 2018, he was 32-23 yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 picks. Completing 66.6, so pretty much two-thirds. 2017 or 2019, 17 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 31, 38 yards, 63.2% completion percentage and passer rating 83. Mm. So that was and then 2020, the half season he played because him and Foles were in the controversy, 16 touchdowns, eight picks, 2,055 yards. Oh, yeah, that was a bad season. Horrible. Horrible. It's, it's just I, I, I'm sorry. The kid deserves another chance, but I mean, he's never going to get one. But. Whatever. I, I, the fact is, is I'm not sitting here and going to talk about Mitch Trubisky for the rest of the show. But no one, but no one's going to invest resources. And in, uh, by the way, his birthday is in August, so he'll be 28 next year. Okay, so by the time you figure it out with Mitchell Trubisky, he's going to be 30, 31 in that area. Then what's the best you're going to get out of him? Five years, and then you're going to move on. That, that, that's why his career is basically over because people would rather. Uh, bet on a 22-year-old kid to see if they can get 15 years out of him rather than invest in Trubisky and get five. Carl, to answer your question about the actual all overall numbers, it's 64 touchdowns, 38 interceptions for his career. And that's not bad, okay? It's, it's not. It's not bad. It's for, not good. No. It's not good. How do we know How do we know that he could have <clears> went <throat> to another team and actually a, his numbers a, got better? But that's a two to one interception ratio. That's what that is. All right, two to one. When you when you look at good quarterbacks, they're throwing seven seven to one, eight to one. Speedy, do that. Do that with um, Patrick Mahomes the first three years. Do that to Patrick Mahomes. How many interceptions did he throw in those three years and to touchdown spread? Well, his first year isn't really going to count because he sat the whole year. No, I'm talking about his first year as a player. When he started and he played. Yeah, so that would be the 2018 season where I know he had over 50 touchdowns. Just go, just do the count and, and do the numbers. So this season he had 37 touchdowns. Not this season. 13. Uh, first, season, season. first season, 50, the same 50 touchdowns. Yeah, the, 50 the, touchdowns. The, yep. the th- 12 interceptions, completing 66% of passes, 5,000 yards. 2019. So 
2019, he missed the two games because he had that. He had that. I don't care injury. about that. What was his numbers? 26 touchdowns, five interceptions, 4,031 yards, completing 65.9% so of his passes. And so five to one. Passer rating 105.3. 2020, 38 touchdowns, six interceptions, 4,740 <clears throat> yards, 66.3% completion percentage, and a passer rating of 108.2. And how many touchdowns so that's did he what, have? So, Hold so on. That's how many, what, so that's what you're getting. You're, how many touchdowns did he have? 38. 38? Uh, no, how many touchdowns altogether for those three seasons, and how many interceptions? So it is overall 114. Career touch. Uh, Not career. talking about his career. Uh, yeah, no, but... those three years. 100, 114 touchdowns to twenty three interceptions. Twenty three interceptions. So five. So five to one. Mm-hmm. Five six to one. Mm-hmm. Rather than two to one. Mm-hmm. Come on. Uh, come, come on. on what? what? Are we talking about? Well, come on. What are we talking about? Look at the players that he's throwing to. Look at what Patrick Mahomes was throwing to. Come on, Harry man. Nobody else. We're gonna say, come on. Come on. That's come on, Jeff. That's bull. And you know that, too. There, there was a lot more talent over there with Kansas City than there hey, was in Chicago. Hey, look at the numbers. Come hey, on. look at the numbers. Yeah, look at the numbers. Hey, look at the numbers. 48 to 20 with nobody to throw to. That's not bad numbers. 64 hey, to 38, to, whatever. Five, five to one. And, and by the way, that's more like six to one. 114 to 20-something. That's more, almost like six to one. Mm-hmm. Right? Five and a half to one or something. Versus two to one. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not very good. No. Well, again, I, I've seen worse. And and for a, for a team that didn't even build around the offense, which by the way, they drafted a guy named White who never really even turned out to be anything. Let's go. Let's go up and down the roster that they've had that never really turned out to be anything in Chicago. So you're going to blame that on Mitchell Jabitsky because none of those guys can play. But Robinson. So what was the last time you? What was the last time you seen a coach throw a pass? When was the last time I saw what? A coach throw a pass. I don't know when. Yeah, never, never happens. Coaches have thrown no interceptions ever. Oh, so blaming you, the coach for interceptions seems ridiculous. Uh, doesn't it? I'm, I'm blaming the coach that's calling the plays that makes it seem those players can actually catch the ball. <clears throat> and by the way, by the way, those players also have a choice to either throw the ball into tight windows and take those chances, or they could roll out, throw it away, do whatever. He's making poor choices. Mm-hmm. Carl says those numbers are amazingly better. So numbers don't add up and make your players argument. So two years from now, it, will you be happy with Zach Wilson throwing two touchdowns to one interception? No, I wouldn't. He would be. I, I don't you, think so. Oh, so so now you wouldn't be happy, but Trubisky is so good. First of that's, all, that's, for, for, see, first ridiculous. For, for ridiculous. What's ridiculous about it? I, right. You just said you if we're gonna bring, if, no, I wouldn't be. But Zach Wilson, right now, does Zach Wilson have anybody to throw to? No, he doesn't. And if the Jets don't put the right players around him, he's gonna be the same way Mitch Trubisky is. Same way. So, but what? But by opinion, to think that. What, what do you mean? What am I talking about? What are you I talking about he does. He doesn't have anyone to throw to. He's got the great Corey Davis. Remember? Yeah. Oh yeah, great. Corey oh, Davis. by the way, great Corey, Corey Davis only played six games this year. Yeah, he was great. Oh, they got Denzel Mims, the oh, great yeah. Denzel Mims. I never said he was great. Jameson never did. Crowder, terrific yeah. player. <laughs> Even if Denzel Mims was great, we'll never know because the Jets don't play him anyway. I uh, never said Jamison Crowder was so great. Never said any of those guys. Never said anything. Their best wide receiver this year was Elijah Moore, who only played five games, six games, and he missed the first four games of the season. Their best wide receiver this year was Braxton Berrios. Uh, No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Best receiver this year was Elijah Moore. Go look at the numbers. The sad part is Braxton Berrios was probably second. (laughs) He was. Yeah, Braxton Berrios does more though. He was also running the football and returning punts. And Braxton well, Elijah Moore was too. It just they took Mike Lafleur took forever to actually implement that part of his game. The fact is, I don't really care. The fact is, is that 
if you don't put the right pieces around him, the quarterback's never he's never going to succeed. And I don't believe that they gave enough weapons for Mitchell Jabitsky to succeed. They didn't. They had a great speaking, defense. Speaking of, speaking of numbers, Speedy, uh, can you find out how our picks went? So you uh, you were up by one at the beginning of last week, and he's up by one now. He's up by one. I picked Oakland. He picked uh, That's it. the Chargers. Champion. Give well, me the trophy. Yeah, the On top all week. I, I got the I got Georgia. Can't wait to talk to you, Mark, if you're listening. Can't wait to talk to <laughs> yeah. you. Right? Next I week. Next week, Jeff. Don't worry. First of all, yep. we still pick it. We're still him. well, first of all, we're still picking playoff games. Okay. So What it, are you talking about? What are you talking about? What? It's over. It's a, this is a whole new season. What? That's no, it's new, not. That's a whole nother season. No, it's not. I'm the champ, baby. Right. I'm the I'm the one. Okay. Jeff, who would have thought? Who would have thought the difference maker would be the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, I, I told you it would be my Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. And by the way, who was the who was the offensive player of the year in the NFC this week? Dak Prescott. D- Dak Prescott. You're welcome. My quarterback. <laughs> That's my quarterback. <laughs> I'm sure Beef believes that too. <laughs> MVP Dak Prescott. Did you see him throw five tutters? I. Saw him throw five tutters against no defense. That uh, decide the, the Philadelphia Eagles decided not to play anybody that actually meant a name. I hate for that. Ex- I hate that excuse too. It's true. And I realize you're gonna. I realize you're gonna say, "Oh, Urban Meyer's a t- terrible coach." But did you see the Urban Meyer quote where he was like, "Man, the NFL's tough. It's like playing Alabama every week." I don't care who's out there. It's hard to win in the NFL. Ask the Colts. Ask Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah, but I, listen, ask the Colts. They got steamrolled yeah. by the worst team in the league. <laughs> and that can happen any week, even though, dude, the two worst teams in the week were tough out some weeks. Yep. Jacksonville was tough. The Lions, that very tough some That weeks. sucks. That sucks going in the offseason when the Colts were so dangerous. If the Colts made it to the playoffs, everybody was saying, including me, I thought the Colts could have – Went all the way to the AFC title game and possibly gone to the Super Bowl. And, and, and they lose against the Jaguars that knocks them out. <laughs> and Jeff, while it wasn't week 16, the guess who got kept out of the playoffs by the Houston Texans? That would be the Chargers getting blown out by yeah, them they, three weeks ago. Dude, they're they're pathetic because they're honestly way too good. Uh-huh. And to, like, I, like, like, honestly, if you're looking at that team, right, even on offense, find a better running back than Austin Eckler. I mean, maybe you can, right? Like, like Derrick Henry or Najee Harris. Like, maybe you could find – Austin Eckler is one of the best running backs in the league. He just is, right? He catches the ball great. He runs the ball great. Like, okay, Jared Cook may not be the best tight end in the league, but he's probably a top 10 tight end in the league, mm-hmm. right? Like, when you look at Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, okay, maybe they're not Tyree Kill and CeeDee Lamb, right? But they're they're the, that's one of the top receiving cores. Keenan in the Allen right is as good as any one of those guys. Come it's on, as man. good as anyone gets. Yeah. And when you're looking at that team, I'm, I can literally look around and honestly say, I don't know where they they can improve. Maybe the offensive line, uh, interior D line. That's really it because their run defense is still third worst in the league. But conceptually wise, yeah, I agree with you. That's why I was saying earlier the the Chargers. I, I think of a top 10 roster in the league and a good GM that doesn't know how to make, make it consistently work. And they do weird things like that's what I'm, going for it on fourth down in your own, inside your own 30 yard line. 
And that wasn't inside your own 13, 30. That was at the 18-yard line yeah. that they went for. Yeah, I didn't remember one, the exact spot on the field, crazy. but yeah, that was pathetic. But this is what I'm saying. Like, this is this is the problem if, if you're the Chargers GM, honestly, man. Just be honest about this. If you're the Chargers GM and you're looking around at that team, how do you where do you go? Where do you what do you do? How like what's the move that you make to go, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Mike Williams off the team and add some other bum receiver and we're gonna get better? Mike mm-hmm. Williams had a terrific year. Yes, he did. And he's a free he agent terrific. at the end so, of the year, so that'll be the decision. But, right, but this is what I'm saying is, like, when you look at that team, where do you where do you improve? Okay, maybe interior defensive line, maybe another uh, offensive lineman. Their offensive line wasn't great, great, or whatever, you know? It's still above average, though. <laughs> but they're Right, but this is what I'm saying. I would literally just be shrugging my shoulders if I was the Chargers GM because I honestly mm-hmm. wouldn't know what move to make that would be an improvement. Mm-hmm. They find weird ways to lose. That has been their mantra. Because because let's be honest, you're not like the Chargers just are not Chargers. The Chiefs aren't just letting go of Tyree Kill, right? Like, you know, uh, if you've got Chris Godwin, that's a good question mark because of his ACL. Right. right? There's a Allen lot of Robinson good wide receivers. Went... There, there are good wide receivers that are going to be available <clears throat> this year. There, there are. really aren't, though. There really aren't, though. If you look around, like... D- do you have? Con- I think Allen Robinson is terrific. I think part part of the problem is the quarterback struggles they've had and whatever. But when you look at Robinson's numbers, that doesn't give me great confidence that he's going to go somewhere else and all of a sudden find what he was two years ago and three years ago and stuff, right? Like I, you're not just Tyree kills just don't grow on trees, mm-hmm. right? So how, where are you going to go to improve? No, I. That's something <laughs> that the, the Chargers are going to have to figure out. Uh, they're going to have to draft right. And uh, being that they should have made the playoffs, uh, having a, a young quarterback as good as Justin Herbert and and guys like Joey Bosa, who's going to be wanting in, didn't he, he? He's supposed to get an he's, extension. He, I think he got paid already. Did he really? I, th- I uh, believe so. So, yeah. But to Jeff's point, oh, that's I think, right. They did because that's why they got rid of Ingram. Yeah. Yeah. But to Jeff's point, he, they've drafted a lot of these talented players, and they still really haven't been able to put it together because they just do these weird things, game planning wise and in game stuff. I mean, they could have played for the tie. People are blaming the time out, but but they've done everything though, Speedy. They've changed coaches. They've gotten receivers. Right. They've drafted players. They listen. If if it weren't such a skill position award, Rashawn Slater would probably be rookie of the year. Okay. I, I, he was amazing. Yeah. Was it? He was, he was Phenomenal. amazing. Phenomenal. This year. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Right. But it's a skill position award. Right. So that just is what it is. You're not scoring touchdowns at left tackle or what. Right. But like they're, they're drafting great players. Mm-hmm. They're they're You know, there's nothing more they can do. They, listen, they're dr- still drafting great players. They're getting production out of all, and they're still not winning football games. Mm-hmm. It's insane to me. Because they do weird things like going for it on fourth and one at the 18-yard line, and everyone's blaming the timeout for the reason they lost that game because they could have done it for the tie. Why not call the timeout earlier so you actually had a chance to get the ball back, and then you could either go for the win or for the tie, then you're comfortably in. No, they didn't do that, nor did they stop the run on third down anyway, but still, people are blaming the timeout for that. Why don't you worry about the judgment of the timeout and also, why don't you worry about the f- coach that goes for it fourth and one on your 18-yard line? <laughs> I honestly wouldn't have any – and I wouldn't have the slightest clue on how to improve that team because every player they've drafted has been great, right? Uh, Derwin James, Bosa, Rashawn Slater. Like, everyone they've drafted has been great. Mm-hmm. And I honestly have no idea what would make that – what would get them over the hump because they're far too talented to keep 
ending seasons the way they have. Speedy mm-hmm. told you what they need to do. Interior interior defense, that's what they need to go. And... But to just for that's probably the only concept-based thing that's really like this significant hole. Even Nasir Adderley, the other safety, alongside James, he had a nice year, too. Their corners looked good. Their linebackers looked pretty good, even with Kenneth Murray hurt for a lot of the time. Really, that's the only concept. Yeah, but talent, and you know this like anybody else, Uh talent doesn't always win. No, talent doesn't always win, and there's a lot of Chargers teams that are a good sample of that. Yeah. But it's not not even just that, because if you're suggesting coaching, they just made a coaching change. Right. I don't even think Staley's a bad coach, but he just had a lot of weird things that he does. Sometimes it works. They went for it on fourth down with the game on the line against the Chiefs, and they won a week three. And they did the same thing to the Eagles when they played, and they made that work, where they could have lost in the game, too. Sometimes it works, but again, there's always going to be the downfalls. The biggest problem with the Chargers and why they didn't make the playoffs, you lost to the goddamn Texans. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Allow 41 points to let, like you were saying, Jeff, let Rex Burkhead and Brandon Cooks dominate the guys yeah i get you know listen i again teams are going to win games every year every team in the league doesn't matter who they are every team in the league wins a game they shouldn't and loses a game they shouldn't so so pointing out that loss to the texans while yeah it's not great those things happen in the nfl upsets happen right should the should the lions have beat uh uh, who the hell did they Arizona, beat? Yeah. Arizona. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Should the Lions have beaten Arizona? No. No. But if, again, if the right. Lions, if they kept Arizona out of the playoffs, they'd be looking at that kind of thing. That's right, why I'm looking at it with right, the Chargers and you looked at it with the Colts. The, that's not the point, though. Like, like, just, you know, trying to shame them because they lost to Houston. Houston was a tough out all year. They played a lot of teams really, really tough all year. No, I know. I'm, just, I'm more taking shots at the everyone on social media that blames the timeout as the only reason they lost that, which I think is ridiculous. Well, the timeout didn't help. It didn't help. I would have called it earlier. Just call it a minute, four seconds or whatever it was and on not the, the nothing, end of last and not play. For nothing, if you saw, and not for nothing, if you saw the players talking at the end of the game, if it had not been for that timeout, all the Raiders play, players were, were telling the Chargers players that they had already called Neal's that they were just going to kneel on the ball and, and take the tie. So that timeout, yeah, it gave the Raiders life and, and, and helped them win the game. Yeah, and, but again, they could have done the same circumstance even with or without the timeout either, so it wouldn't have been the same thing. Even though it would have, the time, you're right, the timing would have been a little different but because they had still one more timeout anyway. So I don't know why the Chargers were, were – all right, you allow the first down, big whoop, then the Raiders could either kneel it out if they don't want to risk the field goal. And obviously the Raiders later on went for the win. And I, I don't blame the Raiders for going to the win. I would want to avoid playing the Chiefs too, being you got swept by them. But still, they could have knelt it out the same way regardless. I don't think it really made that much of a difference. It was more just the – the timing of when they call the timeout. Carl, uh, we will get into the, uh, obviously, the Nets uh, whomping the Chicago Bulls tomorrow. Uh, I, we'll talk about KD's unbelievable fourth quarter, where he has 21 and 17 or something like that. Uh, so we'll get into the whole uh, Bulls versus Nets tomorrow. No one cares about basketball. The whole show should have been about Georgia. <laughs> well, tomorrow we'll get Tyler will be here, but I, I, he doesn't know anything about the college football championship. So, but you can keep him home. That empty chair looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, both our guests were fantastic, by the way. They mm-hmm. really were. They were really good. And uh, like I said, I'd like to thank Matt Hicks uh, for joining us and giving us the time, and and Greg Bishop, both f- sensational uh, guests on our show. Uh, Jeff, thank you for calling. Uh, We will uh, be back tomorrow making our football picks uh, for the playoffs for the first round. Playoffs? Yeah.
So playoffs. 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 That's right. Yes. March this, Madness this is around the corner easy. too, by the way. March Madness is not around the corner. That's still two months away. It's it's a month and a half away. How about both undefeated teams going down yesterday? <laughs> it's a month and a half away. They start making they start making choices at the end of February. They start making uh they do they do the they, they do the conference championships yeah, after right that. At, then, right. So it's 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 a month and a half away. It's right around the corner. It goes fast, bro. Man, you, man, you you want to talk about March Madness and like that what an embarrassment that is that that's what you're looking let Georgia have a little room to breathe, brother. <laughs> Well, you know, let I, them enjoy the glory for a little while. A team that hasn't won the national championship in 40 years just won the national championship. Let them have their moment before you go. Oh, well, that's over. On to March Madness. Well, they're going to get they're they're going to get all their hurrah and, and and they have some good players going into the draft, by the way. And that kid Anderson, it's going to be very interested what what happens to him because that uh, predominantly a top ten pick, he could fall out to the second round. So, Will Anderson? Yeah, the Anderson kid. No, yeah. Adam Anderson. He's talking about not Will Anderson. No, the Anderson kid. Oh, Adam. The... A- yeah, Adam Anderson isn't going to get drafted in the first five rounds of this draft, probably. Really? You think? Really? Hmm. Interesting, yeah. dude. I mean, do you know why he didn't play? Yes, because of rape. But we don't know if those those allegations are true. Right, but it's also not going. <laughs> it's also going to raise some red flags on yes. everyone's draft boards, like. Like, no one's going to be rushing to take him. No, people I'm, are, people I'm would rather take will. Willie Anderson or Ojabo or some of these other guys that don't have those kinds of nasty allegations surrounding them. Yeah, but that kid could be something special, and that's why uh, you, you have to look at him. And I, I, don't think, I don't think he falls out past the third round. I think somebody will take a flyer on him. I really do. Carl says double know, panty man. wearing for Speedy since Jeff won. Jeff the one seed, Trubisky the two, Errol the three. The one year the Chargers didn't have a ton of major injuries and still couldn't get it done. Yeah, that is their other problem with their organization. They are you know, normally like that. So, But, yeah, they were actually relatively healthy this year. <laughs> Bulldogs at the Masters and JT par three challenge. That's what I'm saying. We got to get these Bulldogs a little bit of shine. I'm glad someone handed Stetson Bennett. A ten thousand dollar bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. I think that's dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, let, you know, we should allow these kids to burn down one town. I don't care what town it is in Georgia. They should just burn down one town. I don't think anybody would know it or care what happens to any of those towns, bro. What are you talking about? We need to riot. Uh, Carl says, "Go draft free Caruth." Yeah. Okay. Oof. Right, yeah. but that's why Adam Anderson's you – know, listen, Adam Anderson's a top-ten talent, but he ain't going anytime soon. And third round, I think, would be ambitious for him because if you go back and look at it, Aaron Hernandez was a third-rounder. Mm-hmm. This is far worse than anything Aaron Hernandez was accused of mm-hmm. at the time, by the way, at the time, not overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeff, right. we'll talk so, to you tomorrow, man. Go dogs. <laughs> Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, again, I'd like to thank, uh, um, obviously, the creator of Rookie uh, Big Board, Matt Hicks, for joining us from Sports Illustrated. And, obviously, the senior writer of Sports Illustrated and the book writer of Taking uh, Talking to Goats, Greg Bishop. Awesome interviews. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, and Tyler will be in the studio, I'm sure, bitching and moaning and crying, as he always does. So I'm looking forward to that. Look at how teams were scared off from Tunsil just for smoke. And the video turned out to be fake, too, by the way. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> uh-huh. 
We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, this is Errol Marks, Speedy PD, saying good night. Thank you all for listening to us, and more to come tomorrow. Good night, everybody. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.